Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody, welcome along to Series 11, Episode 40, we're up to 40 uh, already, just after 8 o'clock here in the UK, and for this week only, that is 4 o'clock Pacific, no, 4 o'clock Eastern, and 1 o'clock Pacific, because you change your uh, clocks uh, a week later than the rest of the world, uh, but welcome along anyway, if you've all been waiting a little bit longer, a little bit of a bit of delay often can make things better, I think. Bit of bit of tantric midweek motorsport that we're giving you tonight. Delayed gratification. Up in London is our executive producer Tim Gray. Good evening, Tim. Good evening, and especially good evening to those listening in Turkey tonight. Right? Why? Uh, because uh, they've abolished daylight savings, so their clocks never went back, and they don't intend to put them back. Oh, really? So they've been waiting an extra hour for us. Mm, okay. Okay. Uh, Shea Adam has been playing the Waiting for Midweek Motorsport playlist, um, along with Animal. Um, and uh, don't forget, you can tweet to us at Spectatement at Radio Le Mans. Um, we'll get straight into it tonight. Uh, very few apologies for absence again. Simon Hoff saying in live tonight for the first time in ages. All Motorsport now caught up with so bring on the news and chat we will do listening live tonight says rob jayner getting ready for marshalling at the walter hayes at silverstone this weekend oh, good we talked about that just uh, now won't we we will yes we will whether it whether it's worth going to and i think it is um you're a bit busy though aren't you i'm a little bit busy yeah i mean jayner mark harrison is on the way to switzerland uh so we'll be listening later this week and apologies from Stephen Gate as well. Four-time world champion, but I'm going to be on the phone all evening negotiating a new deal. Very good. And Keke Murray listening in the company of two new kittens, Cosworth and Offenhauser. Brilliant name, Cosy and Offy. That is brilliant. I can't um, imagine standing at the kitchen door shouting Offenhauser. Cosy and Offy? You could sp- um, I used to rally with a guy who had... Uh, two cats called Stromberg and Back Axel, um, nice. which was, which was, um, all right. Motorsport-related pet names. Tweet them at uh, at Specutainments tonight. If you've got a pet that is has a motorsport-related name, I want to know it. Uh, play the jingle. Let's get straight into it, please. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek motorsport. Uh, shuffle the papers, and what is the top story tonight, Tim? Trevor Carlin. Ah, yes. A man with three decades of success in motorsport. 
Yes. From engineering David Brabham to victory in the Macau GP in the 80s. He went on to work with Marc Genet, Cristiano de Matra and Pedro de la Rosa at West Surrey Racing. Uh, before setting up his own team, which has won God. titles in... Uh, Oddly. Uh, yeah, Formula 3. Uh, World Series by Renault and previously Nissan. Uh, GP3 and Indy Lights and many, many more. And why are we talking about him and why is he top sp- story? Uh, because he's no relation to George Carlin. <laughs> George okay. Carlin was a stand-up comedian famous yes, he was. for uh, a routine first performed in 1971 called Seven Words You Can't Say on TV. Mm. Uh, those seven words were... And? And tits. Uh, right. However... Yep. It appears that when it comes to Team Radio and Formula One, you can say whatever you like. If you want to call Max Verstappen a or a then that's fine. Or if you think Nico Rosberg's a then you can say that too. You can even tell race director Charlie Whiting to off as long as you apologise in Park Ferme after the race. Uh, Nick Damon's our Formula One correspondent. Good evening, Nick. Good evening, Tim. Good evening, everybody. This is uh, This is an interesting... I, I think I, I that whole intro reminded me of I've no have you ever heard I bet you they won't play that song on the radio yeah. by Monty Python yes please look it up it's, it, actually you can listen to it it's completely clean mm. <laughs> um, here's my here's my uh, take on this on. rewind to the Russian Grand Prix this year when yeah. Vettel had a complete meltdown when he was uh, cut off by Kvyat yes and there was an awful lot of uh, bleeping. <laughs> um, not quite enough in some places. Yeah. And I said then, I'm getting a bit bored of FOM, because mm. it is FOM, pushing that out to the broadcasters. It doesn't go out live. It's not as if they've been caught out by it. They are listening to it, recording it, clipping it, and then deciding to push it out to the broadcasters. Mm-hmm. At the weekend, the only people who brought the sport into disrepute were FOM, and the people who decided to put out that radio transmission. And that's for me, is the start and end of it. Well, yeah, I mean, I think the, 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 the thing they're saying is, oh, if you'd said those sort of words to the referee in a football game... Didn't say them to the referee. He didn't say them to Charlie you'd, either. You'd have got you know, a ban or whatever it means. Or, actually, most of them didn't go anywhere. But say you had said it, and you had got a yellow card. But, of course, the fact was he didn't say it. He said to Johnny, he didn't say it to, the, to Charlie. He didn't say it to anybody. He said it to his team. On the radio. On the radio. But he did and say, was, tell Charlie to off. <sighs> Yes, but that, that, I, well, I think they you know have to go race control do listen to the radio. Well, I, but but still, still the point remains, Tim, that that didn't have to be made known to the world. There could have been a twenty-five grand fine to go to um, John Todd's fund for winning the Nobel Peace Prize. Absolutely, FIA World Safety Humanitarian of the Year, by the way, him and his missus. Him and his missus I did yeah. notice. Well done, yeah. Yes, well oh. done them. I, you know, it's really funny, but the first, w- in my dealings with Jean Top from 1996 onwards, the first word that came humanitarian. to mind was humanitarian. Yes, yeah. Actually, the first, the first one was some of the words which Sebastian Vettel was using, actually. <laughs> yes. Um, the, 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 that but whole they, they incident... Didn't broadcast, they didn't broadcast uh, at COTA... Um, Daniel Ricciardo calling Nico Rosberg a No, and they didn't broadcast and, the, and the response And that still became publicly known, so... Yes, but they, di- they also didn't broadcast what uh, um, Max Verstappen said to his team when he was well, asked to give 
the uh, the place back. What you've got to understand here, everybody who's listening, what you've got to understand here is that whilst I am absolutely not a Vettel apologist, it would seem that somebody who does the broadcasting of Team Radio has got it in for him no, no, and they... thinks it's a decent story to make him look like the whining, no. petulant child that he is. What they are trying to do is build a, an he image, a, a character. character, a story. Mm-hmm. Sebastian Vettel has been very frustrated over the last half of the season. He's vented that on radio, which is probably quite a safe way of doing it. But what's happened is every time he said something, it's been So why out. didn't the broadcast what Massa said about how bad the car was when Martin Brundle on the Sky commentary said, basically saying the car's pretty rubbish, um, but with words that we can't repeat? But they didn't, they didn't do that because well, Massa's a nice guy. Well, this was not very interesting. They're just it? on the well, pit lane channel. We haven't got the pit lane channel. For most people, Great Tim, channel that was back in 2002 mm. and before. <laughs> when you were on it. <laughs> yes. Somebody is making an editorial decision, and that is skewing the facts, because we don't get all of it. And that's what worries and me about this. It's a very positive choice to do it. This is not someone acting as a rogue. This is being decided in advance in production meetings what they're going to do. And the whole... And the whole situation came about because, sadly, once again, at the very top of our sports, we've got stewards who are not up to their jobs, who couldn't make this decision. Mark Blundell should hang his head in shame. It he was Mark the dri- Blundell. That he was, was the driver steward. No, it was Danny Sullivan at uh, Mexico. Was it? Yes. Okay, my apologies. Then Danny Sullivan should hang his head in shame um, because that what happened at the weekend was absolutely on the same level of incompetence by the FIA stewards as what happened at Fuji and WEC a couple of years ago. And that whole situation was brought about by the inadequacies of the people who were making decisions too late. Can't argue that. I wish I, wish I could disagree with something here, John, but I can't. Um, yeah, I mean, I think one of the big social media things obviously was that oh well, how come Verstappen was going to get penalised or something and but it wasn't Lewis Hamilton did the same thing on lap one and didn't get penalised with it well it just goes to show how little understanding people have beyond who they like best in that first of all everyone knows the rules are slightly more relaxed anyway in lap one mm-hmm. the fact was that when Lewis went over the uh, the grass on the first lap he'd already uh, quite badly flat for his tyres but also he didn't gain any, he gained no advantage because the people behind him were too busy hitting each other to catch him up mm. Because the second and third clunked each other off the track. And then, even he had gained an advantage, he had no chance to give it back anyway because there's a safety car within two corners. Well, and that was the point I was going to make. The safety car was... the That basically, that scrubbed the whole thing. The safety car was less important, though, than the fact that Lewis pulled out... Uh, space on the track from Rosberg, not because he cut the corner, but because Rosberg had a Red Bull driving repeatedly into the side of him. Well, well yeah, no, and I, I completely agree with that as well. And again, I am not a Lewis apologist either. But it, the, the reason that the whole field was backed up was, you're exactly right, was because Verstappen, who should not be in Formula One, I have come to this, I have come to this now, he is not... He does not have the mental capacity to be in Formula One. No, I think all he was completely out of control going into that first corner. And if if Rosberg's car hadn't have been there, he'd have gone off. Simple as that. Well, he punted the sideways. Yeah, I mean, he's. I think he was uh, locked up from the right. moment long before he turned in. Well, I think the interesting thing really about about that's in the first lap, and obviously he had another go at him 50 laps later. But I think the interesting thing about Verstappen, I think every now and again he is 
stunningly quick and, and, and very, very talented, but he, he, every now and again, the lack of actual races, rather than race craft, the lack of races, comes through. And you, you, know, you only get experience by running in races, and you have to learn when it's a good idea to do something, when it's not a good idea to do something. Um, and obviously, his, his later lunge on uh, uh, Rosberg was, was pretty slightly less well uh, less well thought out because obviously the, the downside was he could have hit Rosberg which would have taken him out of the cha- well severely dented his mm. championship chances now whether it's you think about that when you're a, a young man or, or not in the same team and going with third or fourth I don't know but suffice to say I, mean, I think I think Sebastian was very hard done by because not only should he be let through effectively he, w- he would never be in the situation with, with, with Danny Rick if it hadn't been the fact that Verstappen backed him up into him um, so Red Bull hanging around being doing all Christian Hall is going, oh, he's not, well, we were actually white Yeah, he was white. still three seconds further back when it, the yeah, incident happened. He, yeah, he would not have got into a situation where he'd been challenged by Danny. And it's, you think, well, you know, you've, you've, people have got to actually... I know the problem is, I think, they, they look at the incidents, they don't look at the, the story around the incident, they look at the cause and the effect, and they don't see the fact that actually Fettel deserved, well, didn't deserve, should have been third on the strategy and attacked it because he should have got past for Schaffen, but Schaffen wouldn't let him through in, by any fair way, and he got overtaken by Danny Rick only because he got backed up. And yes, it, and then when he, even when he had this, this thing about moving the braking zone, I mean, I, I didn't see it, but I mean, perhaps I'm not looking at the right thing. I just, I got, I just saw him breaking in a line the right. line wasn't a straight line it wasn't a wavy line Break, breaking in the, the breaking uh, uh, weaving in the breaking zone or moving into somebody else's breaking zone is a pet hate of mine i've said it for a very long time and the absolute perfect example of it was what happened at suzuka with oh hang on verstappen again the child who shouldn't be in formula one pulling in front of Hamilton, how Hamilton missed him. In fact, the only reason he did miss him was he came off the brakes and drove round him um, onto the runoff. If that had been a wall, he'd have hit the wall. That's dangerous. That is very, very dangerous because, as everyone who's listening to this programme understands, but pe- a lot of people outside the sport doesn't, it's not just like the guy who's braking can press the brake a bit harder and pull up shorter. They are on the ragged edge of adhesion, and it's exactly the same as somebody pulling into your gap on the motorway when you've got the automatic cruise control on you fill the gap the car immediately tries to slow down and you get yourself into trouble if somebody pulls into your gap you can't stop simple as that that's what Verstappen did that's what the rule is about what Vettel did was drove all the way down the left hand side line he then moved into the middle of the road I accept that he wasn't as far over as Verstappen was taking the normal line into the corner, but he's still on a defensive line because he wants to get round the corner. There's more than a car's width on the left-hand side. He's not in the braking area, crucially, that Ricardo wants to use. And frankly, Ricardo's not getting round that corner at any kind of speed, coming in on that angle. He would have had to stop, put it into first, and then pull away again to get round a 90-degree corner on that angle. And any suggestion otherwise is nonsense and from people who don't understand motor racing. Yes, I'm looking at you, the FIA stewards, because <laughs> once again, you have proved yourselves not to be worthy of officiating at the highest level. In exactly the same as the wording at Fuji a couple of years ago showed a shocking lack of understanding of how racing works and how racing cars works. Because guess what? Cars don't slow down when you change up nowadays because the gear change happens instantaneously. So it's not like double declutching the gearbox in a 1952 standard Vanguard. You're not going to slow down. 
But it's that same sort of lack of understanding of what is going on that means that all of these people who are getting a lot of money to be there are not worthy of doing it. They caused that incident by not calling it in the first place. And then, at the end of the race, we got a message saying all of the penalties have been applied and the and the result would stand. And then they decided to go back in double jeopardy type moments and decide that Vettel had been in the wrong. Or was that Jean Todds putting his finger in because he was very unhappy what he'd heard on the radio? And rightly so, I don't have an issue with that. Vettel should have been pulled up for that later. It shouldn't have been broadcast, but that was not a reason to deprive him of his third place. Rant over. Fine. <laughs> mm. And I would like to say, yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I think it's uh, it was it was not it was a, it made it at the end of the race exciting. Um, of course, who was the big winner of that race, John? Uh, Rosberg, absolutely. Hmm. Pulled pulled, it, pulled uh, his bad weekend out of the, out of the bag in, in qualifying, and then got the second place he needs. And we now go to um, Brazil, which is which Lewis has never won at, and Rosberg's always gone well at. Dave Alcock just said, "I really worry that uh, Form and the broadcasters are taking sport to our market. It's not the image sponsors and fans want." Well, there aren't enough sponsors in Formula One. And the fa- and the thing is, though, and this is the point. Social media, which is what counts these days, whatever we think of it, it's what counts for impressions, lit up on Monday with all the controversy. Mm. And so I'm pretty certain that when the boys got back from Mexico and went to Biggin Hill, it was a big slap in the back, well done. Because yeah. you've you've made the news, you've made the news. We, we as motor racing fans, motorsport fans, even sport fans, sit there and go, oh, for goodness sake, this doesn't help. But well, um, we in, the, in the UK, Sky played it over and over again. They spliced it together with other stuff that wasn't in context uh, and made sure that they played the bit where he told Charlie what he thought of him um, several times within that. It's just not necessary. But I don't think, I don't, you know, he was annoyed and he shouldn't have said what he said. I don't think he really thinks anything negatively of Charlie. He no, was I don't just think very, he, he was just really, really, and he was rightly you know what? annoyed. Vettel's uh, explanation of it where he said, I was wound up. I was in the car. Basically, he was trying to tell his team, you're not doing your job. Get in there and beat Charlie about the head with a damp haddock Mm. until he does something about this. And he didn't feel as he was getting the support from his team. Now, interestingly, when... He said um, exactly the same thing on Saturday in qualifying. Well, yes, absolutely. Uh, And Arriva Bierney, when he came on and said... um, Calm hey, down. calm down. <laughs> and he said, all right, Maurizio, yes, you're absolutely right. And um, he, you know, that 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 was important enough for him to get on the radio to Vettel and calm his days down. Um, and I think, um, I think that was the right thing to do. And that would have been the end of it in the old days. That would have been the end of it in the old days because none of those messages would have been broadcast in the old days because swearing kept the messages off the air. Yes, I think they, they they felt that the I think they've also told Fernando Alonso he's not allowed to speak in foreign languages anymore either. That was about, he used to get around that by speaking in Spanish or Italian, yeah. didn't he? And that's Spanish is not a foreign language to Fernando. It's a foreign just, language just to the Just because he lives form. in Oxford, All right, I doesn't. absolutely <laughs> apologise my use of the word foreign of speaking not English on the radio. But yes, you are completely right. It's not a foreign language to Fernando, or to actually many more people than have a first language of English, Spanish, of course, is a first language of more. Let's get our PC lines out straight away, shall we? Can I point out that most of the people to whom Spanish is a first language uh, are sitting under in the shade of trees in uh, Latin America wearing big hats? 
Oh, well, they don't speak Spanish, of course. Hey? <laughs> because the Spanish they speak in Latin America is not the same as the Spanish that they speak in Spain. And if you don't believe me, try and uh, order uh, a pizza with just cheese and tomato and find out that you get uh, two slices of bread with a necktie in between. A che Adam will tell you that. Che <laughs> Adam uh, also... <laughs> what? Che <laughs> Adam also says, mmm, haddock. Yes. Is that well, Captain Haddock? Well, we've just been to Ben's, Chippy. So, that um, Belgian? Yeah, it was very good. Um, a lot of, uh, sadly, a lot Can of people agree with to me porn? tonight. Sorry? Can we move from Haddock to Porn? A um, couple of uh, emails. Um, another, emails? Mention of the, another mention of the Damp Haddock says rotation sponsorship opportunity here. Um, uh, this from Chris Suku saying, I've just uh, finished a meeting in Turin, but I'm listening now. If the ability to get round turn one determined whether you should be in, in Formula One, half of the grid, including <laughs> Lewis Hamilton, wouldn't be there, says Rob. Very good. Uh, Jackie, hello, Miss Jacks. Uh, scary how much I'm agreeing with uh, Hind- what Hindoff is saying. It's yeah. like he's in my head. I had that problem earlier when we talked about it. It really, really put me Dave off. Dave Alcock, uh, Hindoff always seems to call it as he sees it, and he's on the nose as usual. Surely he should be on the FIA board. You think? No. How long do you think no. that would last, Dave? That's a really bad idea. Yeah. Listen, I'll t- I tell you what. But what, I, it, but what is a good idea mm-hmm. is we need you. to mm-hmm. stop having these travelling... Fa- they need to finally just pay Alan or Tom or somebody the money to do it properly. I don't have the problem having um, a pool of no. drivers. No. But, but they should no, have You can only have consistency if it's the same team going round. Mm. Otherwise, you'll never have consistency because people will see things differently. Even if the people are Who were the it, other two Even if they're seeing Tim? it in a way you don't like it, One it's the same CFA way. And their people know what to do. Um... It's normally uh, um, it's a driver steward and two ESN stewards plus an FIA permanent steward. Yes. Correct. Correct. They need to be. It needs to be a pool of permanent stewards. They have five guys travelling round. Tim Mayer has been on the panel uh, this year and has been tremendously sensible at every spot he's been to. One thing I will commend the guys for was was taking Verstappen off the podium and putting. Um, as they thought, the third place person on the podium, because that was only as, uh, assessed afterwards. Um, and that actually made me think that it's Tim Mayer... It's quite funny the way they did it as well. Well, it, it, it took... And, and how few times, Tim, and you know, because you've been involved in the broadcasting before, how few times is that podium ceremony held up? Because a lot of broadcasters only stay on air till the guys walk onto the podium and do the national anthem. And that was held up for quite a long time. Mm. And I thought that was making an interesting call to the point where I thought it was Tim Mayer who was one of the stewards, to be to be honest. Somebody had stuck in and oh, thro- yeah, that'd be all sport, we'll sort that out. And and thrown in a hand grenade of common sense into the stewards room. But I, I don't think it was Tim that was, was part of it. No. But honestly, I, I I thought that was good. I thought everything else was absolutely amateur. You wouldn't put up with that at a club meeting at Snetterton. Why are we putting up with it in the, in world championships and at Formula One level? I have no clue. These guys are going around collecting their money for nothing. And it's a significant amount of money. They, do, they never want to rock the boat because they're on a good earner and they need, there needs to be a shake-up at the top of the sport. Dead Squirrel says, uh, I had a dog called Mika. Very good. Uh, and Kaki Murray says, a fellow marshal in the Netherlands has a kitten named... Per Ellie. 
Oh, very good. Ah, very good. Oh, I like that. So, a, a pun and a motorsport. I know. That's right up your street, mate, that, isn't it? I'm, I'm pleased about that, yeah, yeah. Just, mm-hmm. What colour? You what, ha- you had but, a what, but what colour are sideboards? Yeah, very good. Well, it depends. Yes. You've got to nominate it 14 weeks in advance if is it's a flyaway. Is she going soft or is she going hard? Who knows? The, um, what was your cat's called? Lola. Charlie and Lola. Lola. But it wasn't, it wasn't, I can't say it wasn't another Huntington manufacturer. It was just named after the kids' TV programme. Oh. Not by me, by Katie. Yeah, you could have got away with that then. No, I, I, I didn't I don't, have to I, say that. I don't, yeah. I don't believe you should claim... You know. <laughs> Alistair Durrant rightly says, uh, I'd expect you, Tim. Why is your opposite of F1 always Snetterton? I am very sorry. <laughs> I apologise to Snetterton. I am holding that up as the paragon of club racing. I think it's because we normally we're called Croft, but you just, you just like Croft because you, you live near there. Well, but, but it doesn't matter because a club meeting anywhere would be run on better... People make decisions. Just make a decision. Make a decision. Make it quickly. They had three and a half laps left of that race to make that decision. And frankly, somebody who was on the International Space Station with a pair of binoculars could have seen that and made that decision. There needed to be... Someone needed well. need to turn down and just literally go, uh, give make the staff and give that back. And it, like, Even his team thought it. Half a corner. Not three laps. Do it straight away. No, I agree. Or you get, not a five-second penalty, you get half a minute. And then people will go, oh, all right then. Yeah. Well, he was never going to give it back until he was told to do. I think, actually, it was very clever by Red Bull. One of the things that, actually, I haven't said yet, one of the things I thought was very clever was Red Bull going on, I think you're going to have to give that back, mate. They didn't say give it back. I think you're going to have to give that back, mate. You got an advantage. Right? They didn't say give it back, but that makes the stewards, uh, and maybe this is one way that I can say that I'm kind of... So what you're p- saying is the, the referees are being influenced by the anti... Yes. By the, by the, well, that just goes to prove you need permanent people who aren't going to be influenced by that rubbish. Because what they, th- what they would have heard was, oh, they're going to make them give it back. No, we don't have to go, act. Give it back. What do you have to do? You just press the button. You go, hello, Mr. Red Bull. Mm. He gives that back. If he doesn't give it back in two corners, I will give him a half-minute penalty. And guess what? Within two corners, he'll have given it back. And this is nothing to do with Verstappen or anyone else. This is just how you actually run a penalty system. Mm-hmm. But the rules say in the last five laps, no penalties will be awarded. That everything's to the end of the race? Yes. Is that true? Yes. Okay. Well, that just goes to show how that rule needs to be written, doesn't it? Because it, it wasn't a, a one-on-one thing. The whole point was then he was backed it. Then he got himself got backed into Ricardo. So it was a, a tactical bit of brilliance, as John says, by uh, Red Bull. But it wasn't fair. Oh, I okay, know well, what's fair in life anyway, but it wasn't fair. It was, it was to the rules. It was to the rules. It wasn't. It was, it was very unsp- Anyway, what a fabulous race it wasn't, apart from that bit. Yeah, it was a bit tedious there, Ross, wasn't it? Ross Bourne now. Yes. Um, well, just, just beforehand, before we leave that... Um, there was a couple of decent races that that went on. I thought Hulkenberg had a decent race, mm-hmm. although rather quiet one. He was on his Todd I brilliant qualifying thing. I thought he qualified well and then he qualified very well. Went Control very well. backwards, very quickly. Do you know who, do you know who is doing well, mm. really well, mm. and no one's known. Well, actually, it was noticed by something. I don't. I don't already thought about it. Marcus Ericsson. Mm-hmm. He's it's suddenly great. started out qualifying Nasser from last year when they got together. Mm. Nasser was way ahead of him, and we were going, oh, Tugger, a bit of cash. No, suddenly he's way ahead of, of Nasa and also just absolutely out driving that car. And the other person I thought was outstanding at the weekend, on the track, off the track, in the car, out the car, was Rosberg. I thought that qualifying lap that he pulled out... He was very poor right up to that point. Yes, but he and did it... And that it... qualifying lap he pulled out was 0.27 seconds slower than his teammate. Yes, but he'd been nowhere. He hadn't been anywhere closer than four he tenths has before been, that. I mean, he, he will be world champion for a nut because he has just had... Consistency. A, 
and the most. And he will have won more races. Luck. And luck. He's had the most amazing luck. And he will have won more races. No, not if Ros- not if Lewis wins the next two. Well done. And he, ha- he has had the most amazing luck. Not just. And then you need luck. The whole point to win a world championship, you need luck. It's not. But if you think about it, not only has he had the luck of reliability over Lewis, he's had the luck that all the people who could take points off him have been falling From over him. themselves. Literally, yeah. Um, to not do it. Oh, so hang on, we've got a we've got a fax in from Rob Chalmers saying yeah. I volunteered to be the FAA's poly- permanent Billy Normate steward. Mm. Yeah, well, you could probably do that quite easily. Do you know what? I reckon we could probably get three people from the collective who would do a better job than some of these people who seem never to have watched a motor race since 1952, and I don't mean eight minutes I to eight. I think they're frozen by <laughs> fear all the time. Well, no, I think you're right. Having spoken to people who work with them. The, the overriding thing that comes through is that they will not make a decision that they cannot absolutely back up in fact and that's why it takes them so long because they want to see everything and they want to take this is not a court of law guys it's motor racing just get a decision out there and if it's you know if it, it would ta- help if, if they had all the telemetry wouldn't it they do have the telemetry. They have everything. Not they have everything. Not but all of it until after the race. Sometimes you can see things. Just using your eyes, I think, is always good. Like watching if somebody turns the wheel to the left or the right. Always a good one for me, that. And given that every car has at least one on board on it, and normally more, it's not hard, is it, really? Just make a decision and move on. And so lo- the, the consistency issue is something that I think most people get annoyed about. And, you know, that's why Nick is right. Having a very small group, let, let's assume that not everybody can do 21 races, because well, that... the drivers do, the, the drivers teams do. do it. <sighs> yeah, all right. If someone's going to pay me to do 21 races as race steward, a large amount of money, I'll be having my hands so high in the air. Nick, I'll tell you now, I will guarantee you that you, you would... You would cry if you knew how much the race stewards were getting paid because it's a large amount of money. And if you were getting that plus first class travel um, to everywhere around the world, because that's what they'd have to have, then you would you'd be well off, mate. You well, wouldn't have to do anything at else. At this point now, I'm saying I think really, and this is where I need to. Where can I apply? Mm. Uh, I could do that job. I reckon I yeah. could do that. Give us a job. <laughs> well, even if you had, even if there's, there's three there's, there's three stewards plus a driver advisor, even if you had a pool of five people to do it, a bit like, you know, referees, premiership referees, then at least you need one person at the top of it who has... King steward. Yes, absolutely. A king steward, a head of stewards. Mm. Steward of stewards. Top steward. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then you... And, and they need to basically say this is what we're looking out for these are the rules um you know these are the rules a bit like when they start to have a clamp down on goalkeepers hanging on to the football for too long um or foul throws not that that's happened anytime soon um but you know it, it happens in other sports that something is a hot topic and they have a clamp down on it and then that comes down as an edict from your head steward and you start looking at it that, to me, would work at, better. If you look at the officials, you know, American sports, their referees move as a team, don't they? Yes. So you've got the same team of referees on a, a baseball, and there's yes. four or five there, or American football, and that's, uh, sorry, or football for America. Um, and that's, I, you know, I, I think, think that leads to more problems, though, because you get too familiar with people. What's right. It, it was uh, Gary Connolly, Sylvia Bellot, 
Danny Sullivan and Jorge Rodriguez were the stewards in Mexico. I'm guessing Jorge was a Mexican. Um, Sylvia Bellot is Spanish um, and is a travelling steward, I think. Jorge Rodriguez was probably the um, ASN lo- local ASN representative. So that would be Gary Connolly and Sylvia Bellot, the two um, FIA panel stewards. And they need to hang their heads in shame, all of them. Um, let's move... <laughs> Uh, let's move on, Tim. Sorry, you you were trying to move on before. Oh, twice I tried to move on yes. to a story about Ross Braun, but first I want to go back to Philippe Nazar. All right. Uh, and what do you think is behind his poor form, Nick? Um, being very dis- disenchanted with um, the Sauber. Do you think it could be uh, connected with the fact that he doesn't appear to have a drive for next season? Well, I thought he was... Well, no, sure you, you haven't got a drive next season, you try harder. Yeah, but it doesn't look like there's anything that would be available to him. I thought they were trying to get him into Williams, aren't they? Mm. Yes, but Williams are holding a press conference tomorrow where they'll announce Lance Stroll. Who's got lots of money from Canada. Which we... And is also British... Which we uh, said is... Formula 3 champion. Yes. A couple of um, Twitter edges coming in. Uh, Sorrel St. Valley says, uh, My parents' female kitten is named Frankie after Frank Beeler, founder of Australia during Le Mans week this year. Uh, Can we have a quick... um, uh, note on <laughs> what went wrong on uh, I nearly said Carlos Sainz there um, uh, what's his name? Carlos Sainz no Junior. what's the boy? Junior it is Carlos Sainz <laughs> isn't it? yes um, Carlos Sainz Junior um, putting Alonso onto the grass five seconds wasn't enough for that so it, yeah I, I, it was also three corners into the race and, you, and, I, and I don't think there was any, any malice in that at all that was just um, not looking in your mirrors the right amount of time does that make it better? It does, actually, yes. It, it, what, he, the fact that he's completely no, spatially unaware? He, no, but he was, he was spatially aware of everything else. Going. I think he was brought maliciously putting some of the grasses far worse. And it was at the after everyone had been sort of himself in corner three. It, was a, it wasn't a very elegant move, and he deserved a five-second penalty. Rosberg, the new professor, didn't use no. No. what he needed to no, until no. he had to? No, no. absolutely not. Mm, I'd Rosberg is a very lucky boy, mm. but that's all you need sometimes. No more lucky than Jacques Villeneuve being at Williams in 97. The uh, James Ryder says, I'll be the driver steward as long as I can send Red Bull back 10 yards every time Horner tells a lie. I like that 10-yard rule. Excellent. Very good. But that would be... That mean they, they'd start the Mexican race somewhere around the uh, Bay of Biscay. Mm. Um, uh, Greg May says, is the issue that the driver steward knows too much from personal experience and it needs to be a more pragmatic person? Half the problem is most of the people who are the driver stewards, most of the people, haven't been in a Formula One car in our lifetimes. God, Danny Sullivan must have driven one as late as 1980. Come on. Mm. Yes, Mark Blundell was still racing until the mid 90s. Mm. Yes, there you go. That's still they're, 20 they're years ago, isn't yes. it? Yes, well, don't forget, though. You don't forget the feeling. Alan McNeisher's done it, and he, oh, he like raced in 2001, didn't he? Yeah, um, and then a lot of the other people haven't done it at all. The only person that was... Alex Verts is probably the closest, but we two seven or two eight, we did that William Williams. Mm. When did McNish drive? 2002. Yeah, good point. But at least he's driven at a high level since then, and so has Alex. No, no, I agree. It might not be in Formula 1, but at least they can look That's at something and know what's going on. Uh, Rotation says, get a couple of marshals on the steward panel. They won't put up with any nonsense from the drivers. Time and distance. There you go. Mm. Um, would uh, would money work, or would it involve a large amount of caffeine to actually uh, watch a full season of Formula One as a steward? Okay. No problem at all watching. Um, Snarky Moose, thank you. Uh, I couldn't remember what this was 
um, was called. He says, what I was talking about in terms of the issues of the deer are what officials call points of emphasis. Um, new, it happens in football and other sports pretty much every season or every few um, uh, every few games. Brian Dawkins says, in American football, uh, referees aren't full-time employees. They tend to have day jobs. Really? Wow. Um, and... Uh, there'd be a lot of shaving foam on the racetrack. <laughs> yes, if you uh, watch soccer, you'll know that the uh, ten-yard rule is applied by putting the shaving foam down. I think it's a brilliant, a brilliant a change to the rules. Yeah, uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport Series 11, episode 40, and Tim Gray is moving on to what next? Do you want to talk about Ross Braun, Nick? Shall we? <laughs> Let's talk about Ross Braun. What is or isn't Ross Braun doing? Well, the Daily uh, well, Telegraph seemed to think he was uh, going to Ferrari, but uh, then they no, changed their mind. Ferrari. No, he's going to go and run run F1. Yes. He's going to run the whole of F1. Yes. Then he was just going to run the sporting side of F1, and now he's just a consultant for Liberty Media. It, this was this was in, and, and he's denied all of that, by the way. No, he hasn't denied he's a consultant. Right. This was very interesting because this was. He's got a book out at the moment. He's got a book out. That, and this that's w- really key about this. He's got a book out at the moment. Yes, thank you, Nick. Very and, there's, good. and there's several F1 books. And he wants to make sure his book gets bought rather than the Johnny Herbert or the Damon Hill book. So don't forget, Johnny Ross Herbert has got a book out at the moment. Johnny uh, is the one that's number one in the book chart at the moment. Is it? Yes. That's Damon Hill. Damon Hill was released weeks ago as well. Um, yeah. Ro- Ross Braun has, has been book out at the moment. putting <laughs> himself about in terms of quotes. He's, he's had more... Quarter to the Nicky Lauder recently. That's, that's ridiculous. And that's saying oh, something. That's Nicky Lauder does up. not have a book out at the moment, but that may change. Start, <laughs> started off with an absolute plug for the book um, when he was talking about why he had to step away mm. from what was Braun, which is now. Because he didn't trust Toto Wolf or, or Nicky Lauder. He didn't like the Austrians, basically. And he refused to pay the politics. Read more about that in my book, which is just about to come out. It is about to come out, that book, isn't it, by yeah. Ross Braun? Um, then he started saying that he've, uh, he's been approached in the past to be involved in Formula One, but he doesn't know whether he wants to do that. And Then he said, he then he said he's the next... No. Then somebody else said he was the and next Bernie. Never, one thing, he would never go back to te- working for a team again because he's yes. done all that. He's got that T-shirt. Yeah. And you can read about that T-shirt in the book, in the book. At, the, at the moment. And yeah. running the team. Yeah. He in ran a team book. when he won a World Championship. And then you can read about that in Ross Bourne's new book. Mm. Um, and then, of course, people say, well, well therefore, you must, you're, you're suddenly talking a lot. You must want a new job. And he was, and he'd go, well, therefore, you're going to be you're going to replace Bernie and be in charge of everything. And he said, well, as you can see from the d- denial in the uh, front of my new book, I'm not going to be doing that. And uh, my new book will tell you what I would like to do. Uh, but later on, we found out... At the moment, you'll mostly be finding me fishing while subbing the second version of my new book. And there's other, we are thinking about updating a chapter of my new book. I'm about to talk about my new life in F1, which may or may not inco- include... Um, well, it does include doing some c- consultancy work for Liberty Media. Which is what, though? I think he's just they, they need some people to know what's going on. I think they've, they've given him a few quid to say what's really... The interesting thing was, Bernie um, issued a thing saying, oh, I, don't, I don't think that Ross should be in charge of F1. It's not well, of course enough. he wouldn't. Exactly. And then he said, um, he then said, uh, obviously, once Liberty Media, they can do what the beep they like with it. So he's like, oh, I don't care. But yeah, because they, they, apparently they're going to keep burning on. Who knows? Um, for this commercial side. So basically, Ross Braun, as you can find out in about his career in the book that's cut out very soon about Ross Braun, written by Ross Braun, uh, may well be involved in F1 um, in the uh, organisational side and not on the FIA side, but in the actual um, commercial element. But it could be the sporting side of the commercial side. Um, right Turn Lover points yeah. out, of course, 
um, that, uh, and along with another uh, a number of other people, mm-hmm. that we've got people like Jensen Button, Mark Webber, Philippe Massa, all p- potentially looking for work next year. How about having them as our drivers? Can't Jensen Button because he's still contracted to a team. Right. Uh, Mark Webber, I'm sure. Webber would be brilliant because he really doesn't care who he upsets at the moment. He's contracted to Channel 4. Um, he'd also tell all the drivers to... <laughs> mate. But right. he'd say mate at the end of it, and, which and would make it much better. And Felipe Mass is too nice to get him on a penalty. So, um, perhaps they should get Ross Braun to do it. I mean, because he can tell... But then the he could write another... About his book, yeah. In the sequel to his book, which is out now. Mm. <laughs> Has Ross Braun done more pointless quotes than Villeneuve yet? Needs no. more... It's not interesting without me and it sound bites. I think it's interesting. the interesting point is that you know, when it comes to rent a rent a uh, quote, it used to be Jackie Stewart. Jackie has begun to retire a bit uh, recently from the rent a quote and was immediately taken over by Nicky Lauda. But as you say, oh well, hang on for a little your... while. Of course, it was your mate. Yes. Which one? Sorry. Aye. Hey. <laughs> Flavio. 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 Still does, Flavio will still do quotes. We we only get Flavio in translation now. Hey. Ah. Um, and then of course now it is very much uh, Jacques Villeneuve is there to quote uh, about anything really. He will. He will. You know, he, what what opinion do you wish me to express? I will express him. By the way, listen to my album, please. Somebody listen to my album. Please Stephen Scarla album. says, "Has Alex Burton any fun stewarding? Yes, he has." Uh, he's also consulted him and his company have consulted on track design, including Corda, interestingly enough. Um, and Alex is probably listening tonight. Oh, and really? Has he got a book out? Uh, <laughs> it's about time Julia had another book out, actually. Her book was very I good. I enjoyed that, that a lot. Mm. Um, I had a dog named Maxie, named not after an Austin Maxie, says Alex Sinclair, but after the Peugeot 306 Maxie. Yes, uh, that's good. There was me Pet- thinking it was about uh, German GT driver Maxi Gertz. No. Why would you name something? I mean, the Austin Maxi was a trendsetter with its large base and five-speed gearbox and large transverse. I mean, a big, big front-wheel drive car, the Peugeot 306 Maxi. What's that got to say? What's that, what's that ever contributed? What's that ever done for us? You never stood in a cold forest watching it go by, did you? Uh, no. No. Uh, midweek motorsport tw- just after 20 minutes to 9 in the UK U- European clops, clocks and clops um, Jürgen Klops has fallen back with the European clocks uh, <laughs> this weekend uh, and he's spamming the European clops Hello. so just just for uh, just for this week we are an hour different to you guys in the States your clocks falling back at the weekend at Specutainment for your pets named after something to do with automotive or motorsport plays special mention uh, might for have Marcart, who uh, got the time difference the wrong way and uh, tuned in at uh, just before six mm. um, G says uh, might have one of the kittens uh, from the strays in our garden called Blue Flags then Vettel can call him in every Grand Prix very good yeah. mm-hmm um, that means you only see it once every two weeks, though. <laughs> yeah, that's true enough. Uh, moving on, what have you got for us, uh, Tim? Uh, the second uh, best-selling uh, <laughs> book behind Johnny Herbert's at the moment, yeah. if you mm-hmm. look at the motorsport category, mm-hmm. is yep. uh, another autobiography. Mm-hmm. It's called Hutchie. Autobiography? Yeah. Yeah. In Hutchison, is it? In Hutchison, yes. The uh, bike one. That's, that's been out two weeks. Right. Which Matt. moves us nicely onto two wheels. Oh, well done. It does move us nicely onto two wheels because there was uh, a 
World Superbike race and a MotoGP. Mm-hmm. Two World Superbike races at La Salle at the weekend. I completely missed those. Did you? Yes, I didn't even. I didn't. That completely. Your favourite ones of the weekend of the year as well, because they, it does. Every time I see it, I'm reminded of what you said, where it says it looks like a PlayStation game because of the lights on the track. Yeah. And you are so right. They they so pop out of the I darkness. No, I'm, I'm really upset about missing that. Um, yeah, pretty decent. Two pretty decent races. Last round, wasn't it? Yes. So Johnny won. Take it. Well, I'll give you the moment to look it up, and then you can speak. Oh, yeah, Johnny won. Um, <laughs> Johnny from Tom. He won by 51 points in the end. Mm. Chaz Davis was... Oh, Chaz got really close to second and third, wasn't it? Only two mm. points in, in the end. Um, he won... Uh, all right. And Mark Vandermark was the first person not of a persuasion of the British, of the British Isles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was... 200 points behind. Decent season for World Superbikes this year. Um, the... It could easily have just been a one-man show, but it hasn't been. Um, and we've had some pretty—I think we've had some pretty good racing World Superbikes this year. Yeah, I think it—you um, it, it, know—sounds like a terrible thing to say. I think it needs a bit, a few more um, non-Brits to get up there and, uh, and uh, add the fight to make it just a sort of just being. Why? A why have suddenly we got a crop of Brits at the very top? Obviously, you know, it's Always not. Have. World yes, Superbikes. Is it though because British Superbikes is is back riding something that is more akin I to the World no, Superbike I formula? It's, I think it's entirely down to you look at the way the feeder the feeder series works. And you know, the reason there are a million Spaniards and Italians in MotoGP is because they run through they they've historically ran through with the two strokes. And now they actually have localized Moto3 championships. They're actually dri- riding on the bikes. They're starting young and running that way through. If you look at the, the bikes that that Brits will learn on, there'll be a four-stroke. Uh, on the whole, mm-hmm. and they'll be yeah. uh, gravitating towards British superbikes because they don't think they can. They're, 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 their chance of getting to get into World Super, uh, sorry, to, to is that great, and therefore they then find themselves in World Superbikes. And, and you know, Britain has been ever since Carl Fogarty, right in the third year of the whole thing, after a couple of wins, and uh, you know, has, has has been was dominant force a number of years. And we've had James, T- we had Hodgson, Tosland, and now Tom Sykes and Johnny Ray, and it's you know, it's it's. It's just that's what British drivers have been good at. But, you know, we in the same time, until this year, we hadn't had a person winning the MotoGP for 35 years. Yeah. And now he's won uh, two. But, uh, no, he, yeah. but no, one thinks, no one thinks at any Crutchlow. point will uh, Crutchlow be world champion. But he's had a good year, though. I mean, fell off at the weekend mm. um, in, where were we? Mil- Sepang. Yeah, Sepang, the, Malaysia. The top, the top motorcycle track, Sepang. Yeah, this is, this is interesting, isn't it? I hadn't realised just how much work had been done on that track mm. purely for motorcycles. But there's a good reason for that. Uh, 43,000 people turned up to see the F1 Grand Prix and 94,000 turned up to see the MotoGP. Of which 93.5 seemed to be wearing yellow um, Rossi T-shirts. I, I think it was near a 92.5. All right, OK. <laughs> but yeah, I mean... It, Didn't it, know it, giving it, them away for free. Uh, yeah. Well, I think I think the about yeah, obviously the point about the Malaysian track is that it, it, it's it's one of those it's a, like a lot of that part of um, you know uh, Asia. It's a it's a motorcycle community. There, people get everywhere on bike. You know, That's the a car very is still point. a luxury. You know, you go to Vietnam or so, so yeah, Vietnam or you go to Thailand. They're still mostly bike cultures. Same as India, I suppose. Um, although they're getting a much more of a car culture. Which is gr- which is why they 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 now they they find much more recognition with people who are going very fast, crazily on motorcycles because that's how they ride every All the day. Time. Yes, but isn't there a, the, the thing that I always think about motorbikes? And we were out on our bikes today. It was great. Yeah, bit I of sunshine. Ages. Um, although the uh, 
rather unedifying sight of people in your street of us trying to bump start your triumph. Let's not talk about that. Yeah. But can I point about this? My 51 year old Triumph TR4A has started on the button for the entire year and a half I've had it. Mm-hmm. And this is a brand new Triumph 4 It's a dissolved design, but it's a brand new bike. And it's I think it's remarkable. Completely flat. It was absolutely AP the 1960s model. The only thing it didn't do is weep out all its oil from the gearbox. Yeah, it, it, has, it hasn't got a crack kit. It. I sat there. I went, oh, you're kidding me. Clunk. And then it was two old men trying to bump start a motorcycle. It was very funny. My point is that if you talk to anybody who rides a motorbike, even spiritedly, mm. you watch MotoGP or World Superbikes I, and say, I could never I do that. I think that everybody who watches Formula 1 thinks with the right childhood, with the right father, with the right backing, oh, I could do that. But I don't believe anybody thinks they could do that in MotoGP. Well, I think it looks too easy. Well, and if you read, actually, interestingly, um, Kaz Nakajima talking about um, Verstappen. Verstappen won his first Grand Prix before Kaz Nakajima was allowed by the regulations in Japan to drive a race car. Mm-hmm. Because you're not allowed in Japan, or weren't when Kaz Nakajima was coming through his career to drive a race car before you had your road yeah, car I think, license. I think, I think, I think, I think, That's on Mobile One, the grid, I think if, by the way. If, we actually, you know, if I could actually get website. physically... If I, could, if I was like 25 years younger and was physically fit enough to drive mm. a, a Formula One car, you kind of think, I could get pretty close. But if I was 25 years older and... Fo- and uh, 25 years younger, older, younger and physically fit enough to ride a MotoGP bike, I couldn't get anywhere near. Nowhere near. You know, I reckon I could get you know, five or six seconds of an F1 time and 25 seconds or 20 seconds of a MotoGP time because it's just a completely different level of craziness. Obviously, five seconds is, is worse than useless, but we all know that. But I, it's, I'd be impressed if you could get within five seconds. I've, I have said I have to be you know, physically fit and, and everything else, which is quite a big thing to say, if only, because obviously the level of fitness you need to run F1 is massive and it's going to get much bigger next year with the increase in speeds and, uh, and G-forces. But, um, but yeah, and, and obviously... The actual level of brain processing you need in F1 now to drive the cars is re- is remarkable, just to work out what the hell the things are doing. But that's the thing I think. Yeah, but, but the very fact I think we all think we could do it in F1, and we had the right backing. Whereas I don't think anyone who watches MotoGP think they could. No, I think. I think less people. I'm not sure even Mark Marquez thinks he can be the Valentino Rossi. Well, and <laughs> again, he was trying so hard at the weekend, he fell off. Well, I love it. This is this is why I think he's the best. He is the racer of the year because until what well, he was, must have been on the knife edge of not falling off for the whole rest of the season to win the world championship and finally he's been released and he's that bike's obviously a nightmare mm. and he must be on the on the, and now he can fall off with with the impecuni- impecunity it's great i like impecunity better yeah it's probably i'm gonna give you shorter words with, without a bunch of flowers <laughs> um <laughs> th- this from uh this from thomas kubiak says uh, my friend has a cat named mac um, named after the race trailer from Cars, uh, the movie Cars. Um, we want your pet names, actual pet names, that are inspired by automotive, or better still, motor motor racing. I've just tweeted on Midweek Motorsport the Kazuki Nakajima article that we just mentioned. This from Motors Mad Men, our um, uh, unofficial official archivist for oh Midweek Motorsport. No. He says, I like the BBC's comments on uh, on the Braun story about Bernie, and I quote, the 86-year-old is expected to leave in the medium to long term. <laughs> what? Leave this, leave this, shuffle off his mortal coil, you mean? <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, Moni Elysium says, my kitten is named Lena after the Geard. And there's a picture of a kitten. very sweet little kitten. Wouldn't get much meat off that though, would you? Um, I might have to get some kittens. 
Really? Yeah. Really? Yes, and Neil Gardner quite rightly says to this is at Nick Damon really. Um, three or six maxi. Nick doesn't understand. Gilles Panizzi on Ashfeld. Yes, go and look it up on a well known video site. Are we talking rallying again? Yes, we were. Should we talk more about rallying now? No! Um, Most British riders also start out on a bike with a pizza sized top box. Surely that should be a requirement on Moto 3s. (laughs) Actually. That is a genius idea. Realistically, that probably is is Moto 4. I think that's a perfect idea. And it would give a fabulous place to put more sponsorship logos. But no, I think Mm. it should be the Battle of Dominoes versus Pizza Hut versus Papa John's. (laughs) And they they should sponsor a team. But you can't have races that last longer than 40 minutes. Well, no, no, because no, yes, because then you'd have to give them their name, but their their money back. It's yeah. free, but, but I think that's the whole point. This should be, it should, it should, well, you know what you should do? You should ape Formula E and have two twenty-minute races with a pizza swap in between. Mm. Moving on, uh, World Rally Championship. Ah, anything happened there this week? Uh, yes, because uh, it's uh, more Volkswagen news, unfortunately. Uh, yes, this was a, another board meeting from the Volkswagen Audi group. This time they seem to be having board pod. meetings very frequently, don't I'll they? I'll tell you what, two the, cleaners two are, weeks. the cleaners are petrified. They must be getting through a lot of pastries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Um, and this is the not unexpected uh, after the Audi withdrawal from WEC. They're not as unexpected as it would have been, <laughs> but still slightly a bombshell. Um, <laughs> so, so how can you have a slight bombshell? Well, because you've seen it coming from a bit further away. Well, you've heard the whistle for hours. <laughs> yes. Um, the, the, I'm going to move on because I yeah, need to I'm... get rid of that. Um, the uh, VW Paul or WRC um, will have its last outing in Rally Australia. Um, uh, Rally GB happened at the weekend. Did it? Almost entirely in a vacuum. Did, did, did Volkswagen win? Uh, not only Volkswagen, but their star driver, Sebastian Ogier. Excellent. Who I still wouldn't recognise if he walked in the door right now. And, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> here is Sebastian Ogier. He's been sat next to you Could all be anybody. Evening. Could be anybody. But, but so, yeah, I mean, I, I realise for the World Rally fans, this is seriously bad news. And, you know, still, you know I think it's another year before Toro to turn up. But I really can't get excited by it. No, but uh, here's a question, serious question. And, and perhaps the collective want to weigh in on this as well. Given the the parlous state mm-hmm. of WRC, yep. despite the fact that it's a longer established championship than WEC, is VW leaving that a bigger story in some ways in terms of what effect it could have on the championship? Well, they've only been in it a couple of years. Yes, but who's left? But they've completely done it. Hyundai, with their fantastic hospitality. Can I say how fantastic Hyundai hospitality is? Only if you is. take us with us next time, otherwise you won't be able to say it You anymore. couldn't manage the stairs. Do Hyundai uh, have really great hospitality, though? The, the E20 um, took its first victory this year, of course. Um, but who um, Isn't that a, a motorway in Germany? <laughs> I-20, actually. <laughs> um, uh, so now, is there... Ford's programme isn't a works programme, is it? No. Citroen is not a works again. program. Oh, no. Well, they're about to come. Are they coming back again? Because they've, they've Meek, ditched, Meek's um, been testing the R2D2 or the they, CS3. Because they've ditched WTCC to concentrate on this, haven't they? Yeah, so, yeah they showed their commitment to the World Touring Car Championship by not being in it anymore. That's but are right. they going to? But are they going? Are they bothered now? That, now that Volkswagen. I mean, it's interesting. Are people? Are manufacturers now thinking about whether the GT3 model is a better idea? 
I think of selling the car. Yes, we'll develop the cars, but we're going to sell the cars. We'll make them at least break-even centres rather than profit centres. Well, here, uh, funny enough, I was doing some work on a Porsche project uh, earlier this week. Brought you cleaning your car? No, <laughs> actually, on a Porsche history history project. And cleaning your old car. Yes, <laughs> very, very good. Um, and how many in, in these days of GT3, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and we know how many cars get built, mm-hmm. right? And how few cars get built in prototypes that now never go. Let's not forget when Audi were a works team, they also had Team Go, which was the Japanese team. They had Team Champion, mm-hmm. Audi Sport USA, yeah, effectively with the R8. And still, I don't know how many cars they built. Probably less than 20 of those cars, but considerably less than 20. How many? Uh, how many Porsche prototypes of uh, the 962s do you think was built? Were built? Well, the ones that won for about six years. Twelve. Right. Twelve says Tim. This is a bit like Deal of the Century. 16. I reckon, uh, well, so I'm not brilliant on that period. Can you tell me where else they would have run apart from the Mon? Group C. Anything in Group C. IMSA. Oh, right. Uh, 35. Right. Okay. 91. Really? 91. Of, of which 16 were full works cars and the other so 75 sold. were sold to privateers. Uh, yes, exactly. Exactly. So... That, just to put that into context of what it used to be like in terms of prototype and being able to go prototype racing. They sold 75 fully-fledged yes. top-line prototypes. Yes. Who bought them? Privateer teams, because basically you went out and bought one and raced it in a world championship or in Japan or in wherever it was. It was. It, it's ex- now, bear in mind, when the 917 first came out, they were exploiting a a loophole in the regulations that was supposed to allow the big engine, it was meant to go down to three litres, but they were basically allowing the bigger engine cars like the GT40 and everything like that to still be able to compete. And they they said that you had to build 25 cars, not the normal 50. And so Vysak just built 25. And they had to build 25 as well, not just I've have the, the parts picture, for 25. Yeah, of, of with the swoopy back end mm. before they get the long tail or the short tail. Um, yeah, 91, 16 of which were works cars in the 960s. Wow. Um, I, I say that because, kind of answering my own question about VW and Audi, VW haven't been in rallying for a, a very long time, but they've been very high, high profile in it. Audi have been very high profile and in sports car racing at the highest level for 17 years, 18 years. Mm. I still think, however, that that is a bigger blow to WRC as it stands right now than what I don't know, and maybe somebody can let us know, is how um, much activation money went into WRC well, from, from I, Volkswagen. What I read was the Volkswagen activation was quite strong. Yeah, well, and that's what hurts. Um, Alexander Gerdev says, uh, could the 2017 Spec Prolos be, become privateer cars? Uh, because they spent a lot of euros on development. Yes, you're absolutely right. They could be. Um, in WRC, at least regs are affordable to prospective entrants, in- attracting Toyota, Hyundai, and Citroen. Who else can afford LMP1? Says Stuart Hart. No, that's the, there's a difference in spending, but there's also a difference in profile. Mm. And I, you know, I think it's it's interesting. There's no hybridisation. Everyone's going and they want to have hybridisation. There's no hybridisation in rallying, is there? Oh, I like that. There's just no 
point in attempting it. Um, I like I like this from James Ryder. You could make any change to WRC, and no one but the hardcore fan cares. Bring back Rally Dad's car because no one wants to watch Granny's shopping tuned up as an RS shopping car. That's, that's an interesting point. I'm not sh- not sure I agree with it, but hmm, um, yeah, it just it just doesn't clearly isn't grabbing. I don't think that rallying as it is now. And I know everyone thinks I hate rallying. I don't hate rallying. I just don't mm. enjoy it. it. Is I don't think it works in the one thing that that everything has to work on. I don't think it works on TV. I'm sure it's lovely in the forest. It's great to they go had see some live. Life. They had a live stage on on Sunday I morning. I don't think it works I on TV. I don't the afternoon I don't, as well. If you look at the way people want to consume TV and look at the way the TV... TV Do you know what I watched instead? Going? Instead of watching live <laughs> rallying... Saturday Kitchen. I, I watched <laughs> the Moto3 Three. Three on, well, on TV. It's a race. And I, I know I've said it before, but people would rather see a race than a time trial, yeah. however good the time trial is. Uh, Andy Lutz says, and as soon as I mentioned Porsches, I knew we'd get this in, but thank you, Andy. Andy, totally somewhere above 191 is only the Porsche-built tubs. In the 80s, some constructors, Thompson and Fabcar, made their own tubs. Absolutely right. That's 962, by the way. And Nick Holland rightly says their customers didn't stop with just buying them, they modified them too. Yes, they did. Richard Lloyd, in particular, uh, like, built tubes like as well. Disaster. No, it wasn't actually, because they did a big twin tunnel version of the car. Um, it was brilliant. Um, Dennis Bevan says, "My dog is named Enzo, and the cat is named Button. That's what I want. That's the stuff, right? Mm. Clutch slip." Or Stromberg, or Weber, or you see, I, I didn't. I, you know how you said your friend had a Stromberg and a back axle? Yeah. Well, that doesn't to me. Yeah, you have a Stromberg and a Weber. You have a kind of a related sort of uh, engine part, or you know, yeah. If you've got if you've got a cat that's constantly early, call it Lucas. You know that sort of thing. You know. Mm. My sister had a cat called Button, but uh, that was back in the late eighties, before anyone knew oh, who Jensen pr- Button was. A prophetic one. Yeah, it was a crystal ball rubbing cat. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It's Hang just on, after. I have finished the story. I've got one oh, more sorry, thing go on. to say. Go on, the timing of this is uh, very important because mm-hmm. if you remember three weeks ago on this show, uh, we said that Citroen and Hyundai had confirmed pretty much all of their drivers for next season, which now means there are three very good drivers without a car. Hmm. Yes. Including the reigning world champion Sebastian Ogier. Um. Oh, sorry, you caught me off guard there. <clears throat> it's midweek motorsport, and here's what's coming up. In the second hour of tonight's programme, more of your pets' names, please. Lots of cats at the moment, but other pets and cats if you must, uh, with automotive or better still motorsport related names at Spectatainment or at Radio Le Mans um, we'll be I'm sure talking more about the VW issues in and withdrawal from WRC let's have uh, those tweets in as well and have you got your head round Audi leaving the WEC as well it's China this weekend and so we'll be talking a little bit about uh, what's happening in the penultimate round of this Mid-week year's championship. On Radio Le oh, that one's a tad shorter. Well, yes, because he, he's 44 he seconds. unawares at the start, hasn't he? Yes, that's right. 44 seconds, that one. I must remember that for the future. Uh, and also we'll have a bit of Marshall P- Pruitt in a wee while uh, as well. But first, this from Tim. 
Uh, King stewards. Mm-hmm. Can they be called purses? Very good. Like that. Like that. Uh, Ross Urquhart on Twitter says, In the forest, current WRC and R5 cars are very spectacular. It's the events of the issue, not the cars. Yes. Yes. Uh, no. The cars aren't right, and it doesn't make... I'm, I, 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 you know, I'm, if, it's fine for the fans, and it's fantastic if you love being in the forest or you like seeing the cars on, on track, but it's never going to go anywhere because it doesn't work on the medium and how we, how we can rail against it as much as we like, but it's not a television sport. It's much better as a highlight than it is just trying to do it live. If you package... Oh, I've those back. It's just, oh, there's a car going... Nying. There's another car going... It's like four minutes, three... Nying. You have to put it in context, they'll though. Because sh- they'll save money by having a camera or two cameras on, on two corners. And you'll see a car go around two corners. That's spectacular. Second time, oh, that's quite... A third time, in my opinion. I think uh, things like virtual spectator and being able to see where the time's been won and lost, that type of technology, same as they use in sailing to show relative positions with GPS, I think that's something that they could make more of. Um, side by side on boards... That sort of stuff. Is I think it, they could make more time, of that. Is a time trial ever going to be good television? Well, but you could say that about qualifying. Of any any motorsport, qualifying qualif- is effectively a time yes, trial. Yes, but it's with build, just people it's getting in your building way. Building things up. It's building up to the uh, the main event. It's the it's the way in. It's the it's you know it's the it's the it's the junior kickstart was a time trial. That was fantastic television. What was sorry? Junior, junior kickstart. Kick that was oh. Peter Purvis. Peter Purvis. And that's got a bit parochial. Um, <laughs> who was the original more... presenter, though? Oh, I don't know. Who was it? Dave Lee Travis. Was no. it? Yes. Look it up, uh, teenagers. Well, they weren't, they weren't repeating those ones. Then. This, uh, from Miggins Motorsport, we've got a cat we call Bilstein because it keeps bouncing around. Ah, shocker. Oh, okay. um, it's here, of course, there's rotation. Mm-hmm. No, indeed. Surely you should call it something like I, I, air bar for springs it's bouncing around. If it's Bilstein, it's a damper, it wouldn't bounce bump and rebound of yeah, course not, not, I know somebody yeah. who did have I can't remember it was two cats or two dogs called bump and rebound that's good that's good that's a good combination I like that uh, three fish called Alessi Capelli and Mansell showing my age says Rob Jana. and the age of the fish I, I don't know I can't imagine the fish is still with us um, when I was <laughs> Chris says when I was seven in 1996 I had a budgie named Damon ooh mm, I've been called Damon all my life after Damon Hill <laughs> Yeah, spelled differently though. Yeah, that's true. Uh, my Labrador is called Pedro so, Lamy. So says what was that again? Your Labrador. Labrador is called Pedro Lamy. We've got a nice picture there. Send the pictures of the pets as well, if you like. That's very good. Uh, like that a lot. Uh, pets that are named after something in motorsport. Uh, Mike Paulson says, hasn't Nick ranted about this before, about the rise of Rallycross, time trial versus race, same cars, sort of. I'm going to change my views just because, things that, the, the, just because I'm proven right, Slade, I'm going to change my view. Uh, can we do a bit of American stuff, Tim? We can. Uh, which is uh, good news because we should, in a moment at least, be able to say good evening to Marshall Pruitt. Good evening, Marshall. Phew, that worked. <laughs> Uh, MP not fazed by the fact that we're actually an hour later to him tonight. Uh, thank you for joining us, for, uh, Marshall Pruitt from Racer.com. We were sort of not taken aback, but certainly taken up with much uh, last week with the, the Audi bits and pieces, which we meant we had to uh, sort of forego uh, quite a bit of uh, American news that uh, came in uh, last week, Marshall. Um, 
we might as well start with some of that uh, news that came in last week. Um, let's talk. Uh, let's talk about sports cars first of all, because there's been lots uh, going on there. Um, AMG Mercedes-Benz um, still waiting for the official word on this, but more details finally beginning to uh, ease out of the woodwork. And you were writing about this last week. Well, we're hoping, well, let me rephrase that. Yes, we are indeed hoping to see confirmation at some point in time uh, that we will have a fleet of uh, Mercedes-AMG GT3 cars and IMSA's uh, GT Daytona class. Obviously, we'd love to see them as well in the Pirelli World Challenge GT class. So, yeah, um, you know, this falls into the... uh, the oft-used, worst-kept secret in motor racing yes. category. Uh, so we're not breaking news. We're, we're months behind uh, breaking news on this. But, yeah, I think the uh, some of the names involved in uh, what you know what we've been hearing and what we're expecting to see beyond uh, good old Ben Keating and uh, young Mr. Bleeka Mullen uh, could have a little bit more subscription there. And on the flip side, uh, we know that our, our dear friend Alex Job, uh, we are hoping that uh, we see the AJR team, the uh, longtime Porsche um, program, return next season Mm. with uh, one or more cars. Uh, We know that uh, Alex said that wasn't sure, hadn't heard the official word from the WeatherTech uh, racing folks uh, if they would be back. That's at least not expected. And uh, the sister entry from last year, the Team Seattle uh, Heart of Racing entry is also one that uh, is facing a uh, is facing something different, a budget crisis with its primary backer. Uh, either I don't know if I should say stepping away, but uh, reducing the budget mm. to enough uh, enough of a point where uh, continuing would not be possible without additional funding. WeatherTech team looks like that might be a Mercedes shape next year as well, with uh, David and Cooper McNeil possibly teaming up again. Uh, well, we would uh, we would hope so. I mean, Cooper for sure. Cooper said some fun on the uh, on the twitters, uh, posting photos of him in a Corvette suit and such. And uh, yeah, I mean, again, that's uh, everything I've heard from uh, multiple sources. And what's what's the best way of putting this, Hindy? Although the brand of vehicle they would drive and the team they would drive for <laughs> is certainly of interest, and I'm not downplaying that by any means. The biggest portion of this, or biggest is maybe even a little silly, the most important aspect to all this, in my opinion, is whether Tech Racing uh, is coming back mm-hmm. to IMSA. And we don't need to recount the whole thing because it's a little bit bloody, and uh, hopefully hopefully all the wounds are healed. Uh, but after a fairly ugly patch towards the end of uh, the WeatherTech Championship season, uh, the gentleman who founded the company and is the title sponsor of IMSA, after stepping away over a disagreement with IMSA and uh, spending a couple races in World Challenge, the fact that they are planning to come back and compete in IMSA in GTD, uh, I like that. I like that yeah. from a peace and harmony standpoint. And whether that. you're a, whatever series you might be a loyalist of, or hopefully you're a loyalist of many series, um, having a split, having a divide between a very powerful entity like uh, WeatherTech and WeatherTech Racing uh, and the series uh, that the company sponsors, not something uh, that benefits anyone. There's more IMSA news in a moment. You mentioned Alex Job there, long-time supporter of sports cars and particularly the IMSA Sports Car Championship, call it what you will, Grand Am 
um, as well, of course. Uh, another big name is Flying Lizard, and I was kind of hoping that we might get Flying Lizard uh, interested in doing some IMSA racing. It looks like that might not happen. An extended World Challenge program for them with potentially up to what is it three or four cars uh 37 is, is the latest <laughs> count uh, they're gonna have their own class uh yeah i mean they're becoming well, the af Corsa of world challenge aren't they <laughs> I was just yes well that. they do need to up their uh, espresso game so yeah that's a good point very serious complaint uh yeah and good on them i mean for those uh, who are familiar with the flying lizard team it was one thing for a really long time when it was founded by Seth Nyman. Uh, ownership transitioned to you know a lot of his longtime managers and uh, drivers as well. So Darren, Darren Law still the... running it. Yeah, absolutely. And good he, lad. He got, He's a good guy. Got back in the saddle at Monterey too, yes. which was fantastic to see. Uh, but we've got undergone a bit of a transition. Instead of it being a works-affiliated Porsche program, uh, they did move over to more of a customer-based program, taking on the uh, KPAX racing team mm -hmm. and their McLarens. And with that shift in both ownership and Mark, we've also seen uh, the team, as a result of their good work and fantastic results, they just won the World Challenge Championship in GT with McLaren, that the link with the British manufacturer has grown much closer. Alvaro Parent being the uh, the lead driver of that effort this year who uh, won the title. So I would say just in terms of a program shifting in both ownership, uh, shifting series from being long time longtime LMS stalwart to now uh, in World Challenge as a primary program, shifting manufacturer, taking on customers, tons of change there, Hindy, and that usually spells turbulence in time. Give mm -hmm. them some time, they'll figure everything out. They've figured it out right away, which maybe isn't a surprise, knowing how good the people there happen to be. Uh, and so, yeah, to your point, growth, continued growth, mm -hmm. uh, leading into next season, uh, that's what's supposed to happen when you go out in championships. Yeah, I agree, agree with that. Uh, going back to IMSA and back to GTD, where it seems that uh, a lot of the announcements are happening or will happen soon. It's the SEMA show, of course, in Las Vegas at the moment. And one or two things have been tied into that. We've got the LA Auto Show and Detroit coming up in the early part of next year where we'll hear some more news that really um, needs to come out sooner rather than later so we can go into the into the detail of it. Um, it wasn't the neatest of announcements. Some photographs got out, I think, before they were meant to. But Michael Shank Racing and the Acura NSX team uh, now has driver names against it, or at least the primary drivers for the season. I tweeted back in early September that I thought there'd be an interesting silver. I meant Catherine Legg. She's confirmed there, um, along with uh, Oz Negri, who is silver by age now, which I'd completely forgotten about, I must admit, and Oz only reminded me of that when we were at the uh, Continental Tire launch uh, before I went to Fuji. Um, so those two, I was sort of over that. I, I, I knew that that was, that was likely to happen. Um, tell us about the, the other two primary drivers. Well, this is just further confirmation of how stupid I happen to be behind you. I uh, rang Andy Lally last week uh, just to do a bit of a, hey, saw you from a distance at Monterey, the World <laughs> Challenge finale, knew you were there talking with teams, looking at opportunities for next year, uh, curious where that's at, how you're doing. Uh, so that was the call I was attempting to make. Uh, rang Andy, someone picked up and started speaking to me in Portuguese. And I'm like, you know, that sounds a little bit familiar. And about... 
10 words in, I'm like, Oz, what the hell are you doing with Andy's phone? So it turns out <laughs> the two, two of them were uh, were golfing somewhere. But, yeah, I should have put two and two together that it was going to be Oz and Andy in the Acura. But, yeah, we will have uh, Catherine Legg. As you mentioned, Oz Negri, uh, longtime Michael Shank Racing uh, team leader, but also just a peerless driver. Mm. Andy Lally, uh, certified uh, G and bona fide stud. Mm. And Jeff Siegel, who uh, has a wonderful habit of helping teams to win championships uh, in, in, in recent years with Scuderia Corsa. And also in the Rolex GT days was a genuine bad arse. So you take Jeff Siegel, who might be the least... Uh, heralded among the four, and I don't mean because of lack of accomplishment, but just not a high-profile name. But I, th- and when he was truly kicking butt, it was in the Grand Am series, which, just in terms of profile and, and whatnot, didn't get nearly as much publicity as the America Le Mans series. So I think Jeff is going mm-hmm. to uh, introduce a lot of people to his talent this year uh, and help just his personal profile. Catherine, we know has been a, a serious operator for quite some time. Andy Lally, the same thing. And I, honestly, I'm intrigued to see Oz, uh, after a trillion years of wielding prototypes, to step into a GT. And, I think uh, he's looking seat. forward to it. In fact, I know he's looking forward to it, having spoken to him about it. I make that that's three silvers, and Andy Lally is the only non-silver there. Yeah. As it stands at the maybe, moment. Maybe we need to do the ratings based on age, because what isn't it? If you, 50 years is gold? Gold anniversary? If Anyways, Oz is over 50. Maybe he should be a gold... Beneath that, so I don't know. I'm a little bit confused. But the other thing that that we haven't heard confirmation of, because they haven't announced it, but we haven't heard uh, who will be joining the Acura NSX Michael Shank Racing GTD effort for the North American Tequila Patron North American Endurance Championship event. Uh, but I have on fairly good uh, sources that we will be seeing a tradition Hindi that you and I loved in the American Le Mans series with Acura's LMP2 program, and that was. For any of the long races, our friends from the uh, Honda IndyCar program would show up with their helmets. The uh, the Dario Franchitti's, Scott Dixon's of the world. Uh, so at least looking at the uh, roster of uh, IndyCar talent today, not saying that these are the drivers or will be the drivers, but I am saying that if uh, Acura slash Honda performance development was looking to pick through its uh, caliber of IndyCar grade talent, you have uh, Graham Rahal, Scott Dixon, uh, Chip Ganassi Racing's back in the Honda family. Now, granted, I'd love to see Dixie thrown in the Acura while uh, Chip is running the four GTs in a different class. That won't mm. happen, but uh, you do have Ganassi back with Honda, although I expect their drivers will be uh, attached to their Ford program. But outside of that, you have Andretti Autosport with, you know, from Alexander Rossi, Ryan Hunter Ray, Marco Andretti, who did work miracles in a P2 car back in the day. Hinch, James Hinchcliffe, um, work on down the line. They're uh, Takuma Sato, Connor Daly, blah, blah, blah. There's talent, Heidi. So, again, just in terms of adding some names uh, that might be a bit popular in other forms of uh, Honda's sphere could see some fun at the uh, the long haul events and there will be a lot of people listening to this who will say but why would those guys want to jump in not even the top class of a gt car the answer is rolex 24 daytona sebring 12 hours six hours of the glen and petit le mans and and point of fact all of those races have a big enough history and obviously with rolex the with the rolex 24 the added 
uh, at a draw of the watch you can't buy, but they all have well, enough cash here to make those drivers want to go and do that in a GT3 car. No, I was just going to say, you, you, you're, you're bang on, mate. It's as hollow as their watch fiends. That's, <laughs> that's pretty much the sole reason. They're just, you know, they're trying to look like the guy, you know, the, the backstreet vendor with seven watches on their arm trying to sell them to passers-by. Now, I mean, if Honda calls and you don't already have a Daytona Prototype International seat, or, mm-hmm. you know, as I mentioned, Scott Dixon, obviously, Sebastian Bourdais, part of uh, Ford's GTLM program through Ganassi, even though Ganassi's team will now be Honda-powered in IndyCar, you know, I don't think we would see the party lines broken there to make those drivers available for uh, Honda's GTD effort. But for those who would be available from uh, the IndyCar ranks, you know, the reality is, in this day and time, a manufacturer offering to pay you money to drive their car, uh, there aren't enough drivers, Heidi, I guess I would say that, in IndyCar, uh, outside of sports car racing, mm. there aren't enough opportunities for drivers to make extra money, and the amount of drivers in an IndyCar or elsewhere who, that are making serious, uh, serious dollars, enough to turn down an invite and a paycheck to do that you know we are in a time where uh, if you're being offered you're probably saying yes because you aren't making enough uh, or as much as you want in your normal job might i also say that gt daytona next year in the imsa championship is going to be a pretty cool category with works or now you can argue whether there should be works entries or not. That's that's a completely different argument, and let's. We'll I'm just, I'm just putting we'll that just, onto we'll a little hand that. cart and pushing it over there and throwing a tarpaulin over that argument at the moment. Um, but with works or semi-works or works blessed entries from Mercedes-Benz with AMG, from Honda, from Ferrari, from. Ford, oh no, there's a GT4, sorry, no, that's wrong, we'll talk about that in a moment, write that down, hind off, Um, uh, and many other manufacturers, Lexus Lexus, of course, the new Lexus, yes, well done, Um, and, you know, any driver worthy salt wants to, and what I like about the type of drivers that you're talking about, all of those guys aren't scared putting themselves up against the best in that category. And a very interesting chat with Stefan Sarazen. The reason I say that is Stefan Sarazen, I think last year at Fuji, um, did an interview with me, might have been the year before, where we were talking about why do more people not go outside of the niche part of the sport they're in. Sarazen, of course, is a very highly accomplished rally driver, had just won the Tour de Course, so it was a couple of years ago. And he said, they're frightened. They're frightened of being beaten by someone who's a specialist in the category that they jump into and making them look ordinary. And people who make their living in Formula One or other high-flying parts of the motorsport world are scared to do that in, because they feel it'll affect their, their, um, their brand, if you will. All the guys that you've mentioned from Honda, um, they're racist. They're, you know... If they weren't doing anything, they'd be racing a shopping trolley. And that's what I like about the different mindset, particularly in IndyCar, that we have perhaps in other parts uh, other parts of the, of the motorsport world. And those guys are not going to be fr- frightened to put themselves out there and, and race against the best of the GT racers. In fact, they'll relish that competition. 
Think about Simon Pagano. Exactly. Who won the yeah. IndyCar Championship on September 18th. His first was just beaming from it, and was at Petit Le Mans. Uh, you know, ten days later or so, smiling from ear to ear. Granted, we're talking about driving a, a Daytona prototype, but just so happy to be there. Loved it. And this is a guy who's raced for Corvette, uh, for Corvette Racing. This is a guy who's raced seemingly everything. That's the spirit. Brother, I mean, that's the thing about sports car race or of the many things. But that for me is one of the core things I love about sports car racing, because you get to see the real characters and animals uh, in motorsport that just love to drive. You know that it isn't a sponsor forcing them to be there or anything else that's silly. Uh, the guy the Ryan Hunter Ray. This is a guy who's, you know, racing, winning the Indy 500 and all, and then stepping into uh, a Dodge Viper, a factory entry yeah. because he loves it. Not and, and again, obviously it paid money, but he didn't have to do that. You know, he just cleared, a, you know, made a million dollars winning the Indy 500. Does he need to plop himself into a, a piping hot? v10 powered gt car no but does he yeah, yeah. because he loves it the, and that and i'll just i'll use his name one more quickly to close this that's a guy and there are a few others as well who i speak with on a somewhat frequent basis hey what do you hear you know of anything that's available i'm looking for something i want to do this over here i want to do something more i brother i love that stuff because oh, it's what we it's what we do where's the track where are the cars what can i go do uh, when you're hearing drivers share that same spirit that fuels so many of us, either who work in the sport or, or still love it as fans, it's just a perfect marriage. Yeah, and uh, Roman Dumas doing Pikes Peak in a prototype because it's, you know, all right, Pikes Peak isn't what it used to be, but it's all tarmac now. So well, you, He was dropped on his head a few times. As yeah, well. <laughs> that's we, we still love the guy. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It's Series 11, Episode 40. We've got about 35 minutes left. Marshall Pruitt from Racer.com is giving us uh, a big roundup of the American news that we haven't been able to slip into the programme in the last couple of weeks. Talking about the Acuras there with Michael Shank Racing. Um, when do we expect to see those cars in public? Will they be at the, the first of the IMSA tests at Daytona, which I think is um, back into this month? Yes, it is, isn't it? Well, I'm feeling stupid because I just hung up on a call with Mike about 15 minutes ago and should have asked. Um, <laughs> I'm for sure I... you would have. That's <laughs> why I asked the question. Okay, we'll cut that, we'll cut that bit out later. <laughs> No, no, no. Well, we were talking about something else, actually. A lot more fun, but not for print. Uh, I imagine so. I mean, I can tell you one thing we know about Acura is that uh, given if they have a car that's ready, they will be on track testing and, and trying. So just from history, we, we know that, uh, you know, I would expect them to be out and running. Um as often as possible you know i've heard about other other programs that are up and running that we haven't seen yet some that haven't been confirmed uh on the the prototype side you know we've heard about some uh p WEC spec p2s testing we've heard about at least one uh dpi model out uh testing i heard was there about anything another... anything special testing at uh, i know that Reese, for example were at road atlanta um this week, uh, maybe the back end of last week, doing a lot of Michelin tyre testing. Um, anything that they've got out there that might have been interesting? Not that I've heard, and not because there wasn't, but because I haven't asked. Right. So, uh, and so that's my failing. Um, talking about Andy Lally there, going to Acura. Well done him. Um, very accomplished driver, uh, all round good egg as well. That leaves Magnus without one of its lead peddlers, and. 
the back end of last season wasn't kind to Magnus in a, a number of different ways. They still came away with a championship. We'll probably gloss over that as well because I'm sure most of the listeners know exactly what we're talking about. Um, what's John Potter saying about 2017? Anything? He's not saying anything. A team representative told me uh, that they uh, have a desire to race. They haven't decided where they're going to race. Uh, the the rumors I've been hearing for a little bit have been multifaceted in terms of programs. Uh, Pirelli World Challenge has been mentioned as a place to uh, compete. Uh, ELMS as well. So, again, the team has not confirmed what it is doing, but from what I think we will see, uh, I think we will end up having... I doubt we will see Magnus contest... Uh, any single series uh, and uh-huh. buy, to vie for a championship. Right. Um, I, that all subject to change. But my guess is we will see John Potter uh, after uh, one of the the good folks in the paddock. I think we will see him enjoy stuff on a little bit more of a personal basis. Again, purely my own guess. But yep. if, that, if that's him just climbing in and doing some World Challenge races uh, on his own, great. If uh, he wants to go do ELMS events, whether that's taking the team there uh, or ELMS. working in part. ELMS, wow. yes. Okay. Um, yeah, and so I've had some pretty good uh, response to that maybe being uh, something that could happen. I uh, haven't heard anything about the team continuing in IMSA. I'm not saying they aren't. Uh, I will say that, uh, just again, trying to read between the lines, it would be a pleasant surprise if uh, we saw Magnus at uh, come back to defend its win at the Rolex 24. So uh, I had one one fan of the team say, you know, t- please tell me that they will still be around. I haven't heard anything saying that they won't. I believe they will. Uh, where, if you want to watch them in person, and my guess is you should be able to do some of that domestically. And if you like international travel, that might also be another way. Wow. So a p- a potentially a limited program or the full program, do we know? Um, again, nothing. I've heard nothing about doing full season of anything. Uh, but you know, we're in a stage of the team is doing the proverbial evaluation, evaluation, eval- evaluating all options, and uh, having them back to me. Uh, much like we spoke about the WeatherTech team, having Magnus in our life is a good thing. Oh, great! Um, we'll just have to. Uh, wait for tune-in information on where to follow the uh, wacky live streams in the middle of the race uh, and, and other fun social media uh, items they bring. The, uh, and in fairness, they would fit right in with the, the European uh, Le Mans series, and I think John would enjoy It's interesting that you're talking about John Potter, the man behind Magnus, as wanting to do things that he would enjoy. And, you know, maybe the challenge of some new circuits on a new continent uh, is something that he wants to take on. I can understand that I, I really can. Uh, mentioned it was SEMA. One of the things that popped up at SEMA was a metallic grey GT4 Ford Mustang. This effectively oh. then, and my goodness, how good. And everybody who saw that picture went, want one, want one, want one. Um, the, the, this effectively is the successor then to the all-conquering Multimatic um, 350RC uh, with that gorgeous sounding flat plane crank V8 motor um, that swept all before it in uh, in Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge 
last year. That car not eligible for the championship in 2017. Not sure who's going to run these cars, but that is a very, very welcome addition to the GT4 ranks. I was thinking about the last time... I was thinking about the time you and I actually shared a GT4 car, Hindy. Uh, Aston oh, yes. Martin. And, yes. and not only was that fun, it looked gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And then my uh, my brain shot to the same kind of responses of, ooh, rumbly V8, but yep. with a blue oval badge. Yep. And then I started drooling, and then my wife hit me in the head and said, hey, wake up, you idiot. <laughs> yeah, good Lord! I, I actually texted uh, our friend... Uh, uh, Lachelle from uh, the Ford PR team yesterday to say, boy, you know, I almost feel bad for our friends at Acura because uh, they announced their driver lineup, and you know, shortly thereafter, you announced the uh, the GT4 Mustang, and anything that came before the Mustang announcement yesterday was seemingly forgot because the uh, the photos didn't matter where it doesn't matter where you go, what website, what you name it, that just has exploded on social media. Everyone has had the same kind of me want now. Um, I would imagine Ford and Multimatic are going to have a hard time filling their orders as quickly as they're coming in uh, because just, again, looks alone and also the pedigree, the car, you know, those two companies together uh, have had a lot of success. I think it's a wonderful boost. You look at what Porsche has done, Porsche's embrace of GT4 and other models as well that have. But anytime you have a big manufacturer uh, stake its claim in a smaller section of sports car racing, you know, not a surprise to see a GTLM or going P1 racing. When you see GT4 and Ford saying, yep, we're in. The, the more I, th- I have to imagine we're going to see more of this coming. And the uh, question is straight. Uh, the question is straight away. It, that is an American. That is a very uh, becoming a very high-profile American uh, series that has international uh, an international following, as we well know. Um, where Rabbit, among others, saying great news about Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge and a GT4 now eligible from Ford. What a GM do, and more specifically, would that be a Corvette? Would it be a what? Is there anything coming down the pipe from the big GM? I don't know the answer to that, but I can say that uh, in what you might describe as the closest darn thing to GT4, the uh, <laughs> Black Dog Racing and also former um, Stevenson Motorsports uh, Camaros raced in the Pirelli World Challenge GTS category. Uh, let's just say that while those cars might not bear the same uh, official colors and uh, obvious branding that uh, they are works GM vehicles. Those Camaros are 100% GM vehicles. Mm. Um, Paid for, developed, you name it. And everything Mm. I just said is a wonderful thing. Uh, The one difference here, obviously, as we look forward, is these have been done on, uh, you know, uh, a more informal classification uh, structure. Uh, I would guess, I would harbor a guess, that with it wouldn't take much to take those Camaros from World Challenge regional spec to proper GT4 international yeah. spec. And, yeah, uh, yes. I'm raising my... Yes, do you it can't now. see it. Yes, you can't <laughs> see it, but I'm raising both hands on the make it so because... I've got okay. spanners. Honestly, yeah. I've got spanners. I can I can help. That would be fun. So, 
Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge next year. Transitional year, undoubtedly about that, with the uh, undertaking of the top-class GS Grand Sport becoming a GT4 category. The Caymans are already there. Um, the addition of some of these names that we've got, the potential for GT4 cars that are already out there, um, including Aston Martins. Uh, there's, there's talk of GT4s in both uh, Audi, McLaren, all kinds of different cars that could um, be in that championship. That's going to make Fridays uh, at the Friday at uh, Fridays at some of the meetings and Saturdays at others, and certainly Friday afternoon at Daytona. Very interesting indeed. Can't wait. Can't wait for it. Um, we'll stay with sports car news. We've got Marshall Pruitt from Racer.com on the line here uh, from the left-hand coast. Uh, he's um, we're the same time here, but he's an hour later. Now I don't understand it either, but um, Marshall's not changing the whole of America's clocks until this weekend. Um, st- let's stay with with uh, sports cars for the moment. And we mentioned AMG earlier on, Mercedes-Benz, and I, and I have to say when at the start of the season, you, I, and one or two other people were hearing these rumours about AMG trawling the IMSA paddock um, for people potentially to run. Uh, GT programs and there was a potential of a, a GT3 engine program going into the back of a, a DPI. One of the names that wasn't mentioned that I thought might have been was Penske because of their um, because of their uh, history with the Trefoil in the past. But news coming out of Penske this week, in fact, I think just today that you've picked up that there might be a return to sports cars in the offing from the captain's team? I'd say, Heidi, that it is the the closest uh, the closest suggestion that it's going to happen. Uh, and granted, both Roger, uh, Roger Penske and Penske Racing President Tim Sindrick have been very vocal. They've never hidden the fact, said many times in recent years, they would love to return to sports cars, but... They're not interested in GTs, and it would have to be a manufacturer-based program. Mm. Uh, so no secret there. And so, you know, Tim and I speak on a somewhat regular basis, did our usual catch-up yesterday, and just asked him for a status update. You know, where's this at? Any progress? And, uh, you know, he uh, his, his quick quotes were, uh, I feel there's enough interest out there for manufacturers that we're planning as though we're going to be part of DPI. So, A, that's wonderful. Um, the, the other thing, which uh, I thought was, uh, not, well, the other thing that I thought was fantastic is, uh, you know, they, he said that they're optimistic. They're going to be able to put ourselves back in the sports car world in the next few years. Again, not saying it's happening, although I have heard there are some things in motion, but nothing confirmed. But, uh, for me, I, I'm just happy to hear that it appears the concept of them wanting to get back has possibly transitioned to, yeah, we think it's going to happen. We're actually preparing for it to happen. So uh, knowing that uh, IMSA's DPI uh, formula, which I think I said about two weeks ago, I was ready to put out a a story about it, which I still have to do, but uh, IMSA's DPI formula growing, gaining strength, gaining legitimacy, uh, we obviously have two coming in that have yet to announce uh, our friends at Cadillac and Mazda. Mm-hmm. We do have the confirmed, the first confirmed, the uh, the Nissan-sourced uh, engine and bodywork with our friends at Tequila Patron ESM. And if we can have 
Penske working with a Honda. Honda's the one that I keep hearing. Uh, a Honda Areca would be uh, the the magic combination to to get together with Penske. Although I'm not, you know, I I keep hearing it, uh, but I also know that they are talking to multiple manufacturers. But as long as it is a manu- manufacturer outside of Cadillac, Mazda, and Nissan, uh, I think it'd be you know clearly a wonderful thing. IMSA having a fourth. DPI manufacturer with a legendary team like Penske. I mean, this is, uh, yeah, this this gives me lots of reasons to believe that IMSA is on uh, on the right path with its prototype uh, decision to stray from the ACO and WEC. Uh, but it it takes numbers, and it takes uh, not only numbers of cars on the grid, but uh, a solid number of manufacturers to make it to actually make that a fact compared to a concept. Um, um, talk about IndyCar in a moment, but bridging the gap between sports cars and IndyCars, we hinted a little while ago about a possibility for a change in sanctioning body for the what this year was the battery tender um, MX5 championship. They were with SCCA Pro. We've documented the changes, difficulties, challenges that SCCA Pro are going through at the moment and those challenges that they have to meet. A news break, and I think just after the show last week, that the Mazda MX-5 Challenge next year will be on the IndyCar, uh, at least some of them will be on the IndyCar uh, bill, and that it will be USAC who are doing the timing and scoring and bits and pieces of the other stuff as well. Um interesting that because they've been around the IMSA paddock for a little while Mazda obviously has a foot in both Indy car and in sports cars with its Road to Indy and Road to 24 I might have thought that those Mazdas and now having driven one and realised what a great little racing car they are and how difficult they are to drive I might have thought that those Mazdas would have been a better fit with IMSA than perhaps going to the open wheel ranks. What's what's the thinking behind this, or is it just expediency? Do we think? No, I. <laughs> uh, I could get myself in a lot of trouble if I answered this truthfully. Um, <laughs> I, I'm serious, brother. The, this was an artfully planned migration uh, of the Global MX5 Cup from SCCA Pro sanctioning to IndyCar. Uh, the roots of dissatisfaction that led to this move had been in the works for a while. It wasn't fully related to the MX-5 Cup. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, SCCA Pro Racing in a bit of a awkward phase right now. Um, you mentioned the World Challenge. You mentioned uh, their expected uh, alignment with USAC. Um, yeah, uh, for me, if we stick solely to MX-5 Cup and where they're headed, it makes a lot of sense. They're, other than Mazda's uh, prototype effort in IMSA, the uh, the place where it, it spends the most and does the most from a promotional standpoint uh, is with its three-tiered Mazda Road to Indy, as you mm-hmm. mentioned, which run and sanctioned and uh, all-encompassing on the IndyCar side. And then you have the MX-5 Cup sitting a little bit satellite to... Uh, the, between prototypes and the open wheel ladder system, um, knowing that the Global MX-5 Cup is not a standalone series, it's not something it can book a uh, 
10, uh, 10 weekend calendar and have yeah. fans show up uh, yeah. to watch. It can either be the fourth, fifth, or 17th item on an SCCA club racing weekend. Uh, could have gone to IMSA and tried to slot in between all of the awesome support series that IMSA had to offer, or could look to align itself with IndyCar, which, again, other than the IndyCar series and the Mazda Road to Indy, there's nothing else that it does. So being the uh, somewhat in-house sports car uh, alliance and friend to be part of uh, some IndyCar weekends, I think it was a really smart move on both parts. We have World Challenge as well, regardless of whether they're with SCCA Pro yeah. or USAP or whomever. Uh, we have Pro World Challenge Series that has a long-standing and great relationship with IndyCar, so they're still going to be on the bill. They're actually going to be at more events than the mm. Global MX-5 Cup next year. I think five or six or so where the uh, MX-5s will be at four events to open the year. But the MX-5s will also be uh, racing at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway on the road course as part of uh, the IMS's huge uh, SVRA Vintage event in June, uh, roughly the same time as uh, Le Mans each year. But uh, very quickly, I look at this as just a smart consolidation uh bringing this cool uh, you could say sports car feeder series they pr- as you'd well know Heidi they produce incredible incredible races and so uh on some IndyCar weekends where maybe there is a lack of really fun compelling content to keep fans entertained between open wheel sessions I think they hit a home run here by bringing in the MX-5s. Yeah. And, yeah, they're only at four IndyCar events this year. Would I foresee that becoming five or six the following? And as many as make, you know, growing that number? Yeah, absolutely. This is a great, great little, you know, if we're looking at opening acts, uh, this one is stellar, just stellar. Uh, and it shines a big spotlight on them uh, and all the drivers. And, you know, those guys are... All pretty good drivers, and the racing's very good. I think the IndyCar audience will look at that. I think it might be a bit of a ooh to start with, but I think when you see, as we had at VIR, five cars within 0.034 of a second, um, you know, that is going to attract people. There's no doubt about that. Um, the big IndyCar story, of course, is Juan Pablo Montoya. Yes, Mr. Monterior, as A.J. Foyt calls him, uh, and also Takuma Sato as well. Uh, yeah, our boy Montoya, who I love. He's a pain in the ass, but I love the guy. Uh, he's He's been trying to find a full-time ride, a proper home, to uh, replace the one at Team Penske that uh, he knew was going to go away. He was not told it was uh, being taken away, but he had a feeling uh, probably not too long after the Indy 500 that uh, continuing for 2017 was not likely. Proved to be correct. He's spoken with every team that had a seat to offer, uh, even those that uh, maybe had a seat but uh, wanted money in exchange to offer it. Uh, spoke with everybody <laughs> from Foyt to Ganassi, his old team, to Andretti. Uh, couldn't find anything that worked or that he liked or the timeline, for example. That, I think that also played a part in things. Uh, there were some offers that could have been developed and maybe turned into something months down the road. Uh, there was a finite window for what Roger offered him, which was uh, a one-off at the Indy 500 uh. and the potential potential of driving, uh, leading, essentially leading uh, Penske's sports car program if and when that prototype DPI effort uh, comes to fruition. So with all that said, uh, the window, the either yes, are you in or you out? That happened to be uh, 
the end of October slash November 1st. And uh, with faced with either an uncertain offseason, uh, possibly driving for a good team, possibly drive for a team that wouldn't do much for him, or uh, an opportunity to maybe win his third Indy 500 and stick with Roger in sports cars, our boy JPM uh, went with the known quantity. Uh, and we'll be back next year. When I spoke with Tim Sindrick yesterday, uh, I said, so, you've only signed him up for the Indy 500, and you're ramping up to five cars to do that. And trust me, it it is stressing the heck out of him trying to figure out how they're going to run five cars. Yeah. Uh, I said, could you foresee him doing any more? Uh, not just for fun, but if you're in a championship position where you could really use another good car to separate mm. your whomever's running for the title and, and take points away from others. He said, you know, never say never, not planning on it, but uh, never say never. So at least for me, I would not be shocked if uh, Montoya was in the car for maybe one extra race if needed towards the end of the year. And what's uh, uh, Takuma doing? Well, Takuma Sato has won the uh, Andretti Autosport sweepstakes uh, as... <laughs> As Honda's favorite son uh, in open wheel racing, and as someone who carries, um, uh, we'll just call it guaranteed support mm-hmm. uh, and a seemingly a lifelong assurance that uh, if Honda's an IndyCar, he'll be driving one. Um, the choice by AJ Foyt Racing, uh, who's driven for since 2013, to uh, switch to Chevy uh, ended his tenure there, period. Yeah. Uh, granted, um, the Foyt team was already looking at a replacement for him, so it would be incorrect to say that Takuma became available simply because Foyt uh, decided to change manufacturers. But regardless, the best available seat in uh, Honda seat in IndyCar uh, with the Foyt shift taking place was the, uh, the entry formerly driven by Carlos Munoz at Andretti Autosport. Funnily enough... Munoz was the driver that Foyt want and has gotten, although they haven't announced it yet. Um, and Munoz was also the uh, top performer at the team in the championship this year. So uh, for what Takuma is getting, uh, I would say he is getting his best chance to date in what will be, I think, his seventh IndyCar season uh, with Andretti. Uh, granted, uh, I've never, uh, I've never made an effort to uh, espouse my. Um, fandom for uh, Takuma in IndyCar. As a person, he's supreme. Excellent guy. Yep. As a driver, I probably don't need to chronicle his uh, well-known affinity are for you, Wall. Are you saying that people. if you were a team manager, you, he might not be on the top of your, your want list? He'll be on top of something. A barrier, <laughs> uh, the back of a rear wing. I don't know. All Again, right. love, lovely guy, but I can tell you this. Good on him. He's 39. He's going to be 40 sometime soon. Uh, someone who's been in Formula One, who's had a good life, had a good career. He will effectively, this should be his last IndyCar contract. He has a great shot with a, a very good team, uh, the best available Honda-powered seat in IndyCar. Uh, the guy should have uh, an absolute chance to go out on some form of high and maybe add a second win uh, to his CV before uh, he calls time on IndyCar. Uh, last and very quick question: Have you have you ever had a pet that was named after something in the automotive world or motorsport world? Have you had a a cat called Martini or a dog called Weber? Bump and rebound? What? No, but I can tell you this, and it, it saddened me, and it, it's a very short and dumb story. But when I was a kid, 
my, I loved Cosworth just as a company. Yes. And I loved the name as well. I think when I was 15 or 16, I sent a letter and, and a, a, some ca- actual cash to Cosworth in Southern California. They sent me a T-shirt, and I was the only kid in school with a Cosworth T-shirt because no one else would give a darn. Nonetheless, I wanted nothing more than to get a dog and to name it Cosworth because oh. I thought that was going to be the coolest name in the world. And I wanted to do that until I saw some little featurette during, a, I don't know what it was, maybe an IMSA race, probably Trans Am or IMSA. Uh, mid-ish, mid-80s, 87, 86, something like that. And they did a little mini feature coming back from a commercial, I believe, on Wally Dollenback Jr. And they were showing him on his ranch, I think, in Colorado. And he was walking along, and his dog was running along, and he called to his dog, Osworth, come here! And the dog ran over, and my heart sank. I thought I was going to be the coolest bastard in the world with the only dog <laughs> named Cosworth. Then I found that Wally beat me to the punch. So, A, I've never had a dog, and none of our cats have been named Cosworth, but I might have to think of uh, something. Uh, well, as we've had, we've had a listener tonight whose uh, pets are called Cosworth and uh, Offenhauser, so Cozzy and Offy, which I thought was very good. Ooh. MP, oh. thank you very much indeed. Marshall Pruitt joining us from California uh, this evening from racer.com. A bumper bundle of MP, and we've enjoyed all of it. Thanks, Marshall. Thanks, brother. And, oh. Lotecias en Español. Ole. Por Midweek Motorsport. And Nick Damon is with us for this as well. Bueno, it's then day. I wish you wouldn't do that. That's my line. <laughs> Remember. It's no one's anyone's line. It's, it's a teamwork. Team it's does. Team. No I in team. There is in Spanish. Banco Santander lanza hoy el tercer video para no mostrar el progreso de las personas y de las empresas a través de sus cámaras diarias con el apoyo de los pilotos de Scuderia Ferrari, Sebastian Vettel y Kimi Raikkonen. Mm-hmm. Well, on, right, now, you're going to have to be a bit careful with this. The solicitors are already <laughs> on the phone. Our attorneys are already listening. Okay. Um, on the face of this, <laughs> yes. anything to do with the bank and closed-circuit television... Front, back, or in between. You're not happy with those, are you? Is 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 not a story that we'd normally cover. However, mm. well, it does appear that thanks to the auspices of uh, Banco Santander, <laughs> um, that they have decided to record some. I think it's backwards footage rather than backside uh, footage of Kimi Räikkönen and Sebastian Vettel um, from some, some for a special interest video. Perhaps it's a training video that John Cleese videos they used to do. Everything running backwards, though. Yes, it could be that. Backwards time. Hmm. Carry on. El video Arturo enseña a Vettel y a Reichnen a tocar la trompeta imitando el sonido de un cock de carreras. Yes, well, I think that's fairly obvious. Well, it's interesting, because basically, this is obviously... Did you hear what I said? They, were, they wanted they were doing an impression of the cock, which is the king, obviously. Yes. The king of impressionists. The top, yes. So basically, they are doing an homage to Mike Yarwood, the <laughs> 1970s parochial British top impressionist. Yeah, okay. E incluso competen para ver quién dura más. Quién ganaba. Mm-hmm. Well, 
interesting that that point there. You know, they're saying that the things they're going to look at doing within the Mike album tribute include, rather oddly, uh, a tribute to Gangnam Style. Yes, Gangnam Style. Yeah, I got that as well. Destimilante. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, that's what we've got. One word. That's what we've got. Yeah. Destimilante. Yeah. How far is it to Milan? Um, <laughs> well, that, is it like not Christina Milan, the singer? Oh, could be, yes. Destiny mm-hmm. Melanti, yeah. Yeah. Destiny Rides Again, the uh, Western from whatever it was. Destiny's Child with Christina Milan? I don't know, we'll have to find Destiny's out more. Destiny's Child was... Um, Moving on. Thing, wasn't it? Moving on. Do you know what this is really about? It's about Sebastian Vettel and Kimi Raikkonen um, have taken a bank loan to buy a video. <laughs> so, so it says rotation. They made a video about playing the trumpet... And making the trumpet sound like a Formula One engine. I'm really? sorry, can you write? When did they make a video about a trumpet-based engine? Based Last thing? week. Do you want to hear it? Yes. <laughs> of course. Take that down, will you? Right, take that down. This is what an F1 engine actually sounds like. That was a Ferrari. That's a Mercedes behind it. That's another Ferrari and Mercedes. Anyway, um, I'm not hearing that. It sounds, I may be a bit of a tin ear. It just sounds to me like something, in, in, you know, in, in, in basically some uh, uh, interpretive jazz. <laughs> yes. Going down the smoky cellar. And several, nice. several hep cats nice. going, yeah, I can see that. That's telling me all I need to know about Formula One and banking. I, I do like uh, the taking out the bank <laughs> <laughs> to buy a video. <laughs> Presumably ungles and gas. Mm. Mm. Uh, Jack Gabriel says, uh, I've missed the show live. No, you haven't. We're still on. <laughs> uh, when will the podcast be available? Well, 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 finished. No one likes the last six minutes. It's never really good. Yeah, uh, tune um, in now, Jack, and uh, and listen. And in fact, if you tune in now, we'll tell you when the podcast is going to be ready. Um, Just let us know when you're listening. But hang on, yeah. he doesn't know to tune in now. Yeah, you could not tweet listening him yet. back. Marshall Pruitt has just posted the story. I wish he'd done this when um, we, when he'd been on. NBC are to launch an automotive quiz show What's called the co- Amazing uh, from the creators of the Amazing Race called Shotgun, a new high octa a new Shotgun. high octane automotive quiz show from the creators of the Amazing Race, which tests contestant skills at answering questions while riding in the passenger seat of a professional race car. Oh right, so basically, just, the, all they're going to do is they're going to they're going to drive around this the track. This has been done. Setting, it was done by Clarkson the, well, with Corden. Jeremy, uh, James Corden did a special with Clarkson. The, the, and B, May. the BBC did it with the Stig in South Africa. Well, it's probably some sort of they probably bought the rights. So basically, you just get all the members of the public drive them around. Go, oh gosh, it's really awful going high around the corner. And then they ask, you know, who was the 37th president of the United States? I don't know, but I have no idea who it was. 
yeah, or in the UK, they'd say, you know, yeah. It was the 37th prime minister. The professional race car in in question that on the um, the promo still that I'm looking at appears to be a Toyota GT86. So you're gonna get too Ooh. upset by that, are you? Mm. Not right. highly modified to the point where I'm not even seeing a roll cage in it. But hey ho. I was hoping that they'd do it in the IndyCar two seater. That now that you'd pay it to see. Yeah, I think the problem is they probably want to do something, but they don't put a helmet on them so they can get all the frightened reactions of Joe Public. Yeah, you want to see their faces. Imagine doing, uh, for those of you who know this, if you don't, go and look at a mastermind. Instead of the black chair and the spot lamp, doing it in a two-seater race car. Yeah. I like that. I've started, so I'll finish the lap. I think it'd be even harder on the back of a bike ridden by Ron Hasler. Oh, I like that as well. I like that. Uh, that is... Um, <laughs> so that's that's two free TV concepts we chucked out for all of you there. Mm. Uh, and Right Turn Lover says, have we mentioned that Mortal 2 Championship is now decided? Uh, that was Jan Zarko who won that, isn't it? I don't know about that. I don't know. Yes. MotoGP, sorry. Yeah, Mortal 2. Uh, very good. Uh, in the video, uh, teams made videos where the engines were set to play music. The that, that Renault one played right the national end, anthem, Right at the they? end, when they knew they weren't going to use any more, and they can blow them up. They just they did, did a couple of those, but they just ran the tunes through, yeah. Uh, and Neil Gardner says, those trumpets sound like the worst sound effects of the worst horror, made ever ma- horror movie ever made. Or F1, as it's more commonly known. That's Neil saying that, not me. Brum. Uh, oh. And... Uh, James Ryder says it's a poor rip-off of this epic moped, which I have just uh, retweeted. That's your lot uh, for this evening. Haven't had time to mention that we're in uh, China China. this weekend for the penultimate round. It means nothing to me. (laughs) That's my gag. (laughs) You weren't quick enough. Um, Oh, Vienna. It is the uh, penultimate round of the WEC uh, Graham Goodman and me do. Who? Graham Goodman? Who's Graham, Graham Goodman? It's Robin Goodman or Graham Good. Goodman? Make your mind up. Graham Goodwin uh, and me doing and I doing the <laughs> television and worst, it's worst Johnny intro ever. and someone Bruce Johnny, and Trussers. Is it Bruce and Trussers? Oh, it's, it's, it's all of them. All right, okay. I, I have I have no way of knowing that, but it's definitely Johnny. <laughs> Um, heading up the radio commentary for the race only. Thank you to Tim. Thank you to Marshall Pruitt and to Nick Dimon. The responsible adult was Eve Hewitt. The food this evening, and this will really hurt you, was from Ben's Chippy. Cracking. Um, because Can I we say thank ba- you for. I, I very much enjoyed our coffee as well. Oh, yeah, that, well, that was the espresso lounge at Excellent Tring. Salted caramel chocolate cake. <laughs> yes, that was. Uh, and hello to everybody at the espresso lounge at Tring. And thank you to Martin Pass for passing. Uh, that on to us. Uh, that's Shalot for tonight. If you uh, uh, have just caught the end of the programme, Tim will get the podcast up as quickly as humanly possible. And in fact, as soon as I stop speaking, it'll begin uploading. And uh, there's no time to explain. The Llama is off to learn to play trumpet. <laughs> this programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.